welcome to Filmstrip's Star Wars Retrospective Series, where we will review the films of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. I got a bad feeling about this. Our guides for this journey will be Kurt. Who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil. And Jay. Taking an awful risk, this had better work. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes. The Force will be with you. Always. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Kurt. This is our Star Wars retrospective series and our review of Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Starring Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Ian McDermott, Peter Mayhew, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Alec Guinness, Frank Oz, David Prowse, and the voice of James Earl Jones. Directed by Richard Marquand. Released in 1983 on a budget of a little over $32 million, grossed over $475 million in its theatrical runs. So we are at the end of the original trilogy, uh, Kurt. And I, you know, remember this leading up to it when it was coming out in 1983 from really the end of Empire Strikes Back till this. I mean, it was it was mania. You could not get a film that was more hyped than the Empire Strikes Back uh, than from the Empire Strikes Back into Return of the Jedi. You know, there were magazines, there was TV stuff about it. I mean, it was everywhere. You, you couldn't avoid it man and uh i it was i mean everybody was waiting on it you know and and we got to remember we didn't mention this the last time but this is a time when uh, your sequels didn't do what sequels nowadays do like this was a time when the sequel might be you know half of what the original was or something but you know this one certainly broke the mold for that uh, as did the uh, the last there i mean i can't imagine the uproar for a sequel to Empire Strikes Back. When that movie ended, with stuff going through your mind, you couldn't possibly want that next movie soon enough. So, I mean, yeah, it must have been just you know lines around the block in oh. 1983 for this one. Oh, dude, it was insane. I mean, it was. I remember that even being a kid. I mean, this was just the thing everybody talked about. When are we gonna go get to see this? You know, it's, it was gonna happen and stuff. And I mean, it was. I, you know, it was epic. Like I say, there was there was nothing like it, and uh, you know, heavily merchandised. I mean, mm-hmm. no, but nobody. They weren't even close to how much merchandise this thing got um, as it got closer to time. I mean, it was just a. Uh, it was it was mania, no doubt. It was it was pure mania leading up to. Um, the return of the Jedi because you know, the, the tease of it was there was this, this big lightsaber coming out of the middle of space, you know, and it was like, Oh, what's this going to be? Cause you know, when we left everything, everything was bad. So what, <laughs> you know, how can it end on such, you know, can it be any cooler than that last one was and what's going to be the resolve and you know, all, all this and what's going to be new because you know, you, you were expecting new characters, new stuff and uh, you know, we'll get into it. I mean, they certainly give on, on a lot of that. They do. They deliver somewhat on uh, the <laughs> promise of Empire Strikes Back, and we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think the first time I would have seen this film would have been before the special edition release. I know that this, for the longest time, this was my favorite. When I, like, yeah. back, you know, like, uh, when I was eight, I mean, this movie was 100% designed for 
for a, a person from you know ages six to let's say even like twelve, that they would absolutely just adore this movie. This is absolutely a. This is probably of the th- original three. This is the family film uh, of the Star Wars trilogy, I'd say. Which adds to some of the good stuff and adds to some of the crap, <laughs> which we'll get into. But yeah. uh, and as, no matter, no, and I want to say this: no matter what I say uh, negative about this film, I mean, it's the weakest of the trilogy. But you know, the weakest of the Star Wars trilogy is still better than ninety nine percent of your average action movie that was coming out around the same time. I can't imagine how much this movie is better than. All of the action movies we've forgotten from 1983, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, there was there was nothing like this. And we got to remember too. This movie also, you've called it out. It, it exists uh, definitely targeted to the uh, the kids, if you will. And this is definitely the kid one of them, but. It also is coming off the wake of something else that George Lucas was involved in, and we cannot deny the the power of what this means to the Star Wars universe because Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out 1981, 82, and the, the influence of what that film was changed what Lucas wanted to do with this. I mean, it's well known that he decided, you know what, we're going to kind of get away from the the real more fantastical spiritual journey stuff that we've been going down these next few times. Now we, I just want a good action film. And so it was going to be about action and we were going to explore some of that psychological stuff, but it was going to be lighter on that. I mean, he made that choice and when he wrote the story and then Lawrence Kasdan, of course, wrote the screenplay with him and what he rewrote out of a lot of what Kasdan came up with was taking out those elements and going for more of the action element. So it certainly exists in that world. Oh, yeah. Uh, and watching it last night, uh, I noticed, I, I think, like, the, the screenplay is co-written by uh, Lawrence Kazan and George Lucas. I don't think George Lucas has a screenplay credit on Empire Strikes Back, and I think you can tell in Jedi, yeah. I think Lucas rewrote a lot, a lot of Kazan, because <laughs> I think that the flair and energy of that screenplay from Empire Strikes Back is really not there. And the biggest problem with this movie, which I'm sure will come a few times is Han Solo's role in the film. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I definitely want to talk about Han and what he's not doing in a lot of this film and, and uh, maybe what we would have expected along the way. Cause it's a different Han. It's not the same Han that we've had the last, I guess being frozen in carbonite will do that too. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> as, as we'll see, but no, I, you know, it, it is, it's certainly a different take, but, uh, successful not as successful as the empire strikes back and and not as much as the first one either but still it was a big hit and is you know it has its fans and it has its detractors and stuff but i guess we just need to get into it kurt so as we have been our friend john jansen from the hollywood gauntlet tell us about episode six the return of the jedi star wars episode six return of the jedi The Empire prepares to crush the Rebellion with a more powerful Death Star while the Rebel fleet mounts a massive attack on the space station and a ground attack on the nearby moon of the planet Endor, where the station's shield generator is housed. Luke Skywalker confronts his father, Darth Vader, in a final climactic duel before the evil Emperor, who is determined to either turn the young Skywalker to the dark side or see him perish. Han Solo, Leia, and others successfully destroy the shield generator, while Lando and the Rebel fleet engage the Empire's fleet. Luke defeats his father in a lightsaber duel, cutting off his hand, but refuses to destroy him. The Emperor hits Luke with several rounds of force lightning, but in the last second, 
Vader turns from the dark side, destroys the Emperor, and saves his son. Luke removes Vader's mask and looks upon his father for the first time as he dies. Luke escapes with Vader's body as the Death Star is destroyed. With the Empire finally defeated, the Sith destroyed, Anakin Skywalker is thus redeemed. Our heroes celebrate as freedom is restored to the galaxy. All right, so we open up and we get the same crawl again. It's you know now we know what to expect, right? And even the like the way that crawl works, and I know this is kind of a nitpicky thing, but I want to bring it up right out of the gate. You know, the last two crawls, you know, open up and it's uh, you know boom, you know it's something about war and there's all kinds of you know problems, and this one opens up and it's all about Luke going to rescue somebody. <laughs> you know, and, and I was like, that's just a different tone than what we've had before. It's like, you know, we got to go take out the Empire. But before that, i got to go get my friend. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The movie starts off uh, with a much, you know, smaller like that. Yeah. The Empire Strikes Back started. They're in the middle of a war. You know, there's right. like, like literally the Empire's on their way. Uh, the Empire's not on their way to anywhere in this movie. They kind of stick around exactly where they are the entire movie, around you know the forest moon of Endor. Mm-hmm. They're not on the move. They're not on the hunt for anything. And that's one more thing, I think, that takes away from the the darkness of uh, that last movie, is that the Empire's on the defensive, again, as mm-hmm. they were in uh, uh, A New Hope. Yeah, I, I think that's the other thing is that the Empire, I don't even know if you call them on the defensive, man. They're just like sitting out there waiting on it to come to them. Uh, that's the thing that blows me away is that like they're not active doing anything this time around. Yeah, they're just in the middle of a construction job uh, yeah. for most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and I think probably most famously sent up by um, Clerks, if you've ever seen the uh, – and if you oh, haven't, yeah. you know, go go Google it, folks, and, and watch it on YouTube. You can watch Dante and, and Randall argue about, you know, did the contractors in the Death Star know what they were getting into, <laughs> which is an interesting, con- uh, you know, con- uh, concept to think about, I think, as, as we get into this stuff. But uh, I don't know that it's – you know, I don't know that was the kind of questions I had, but yeah, they are just kind of yeah. sitting there and what we'll learn and, you know, and, and it's not in the plot summary necessarily, but what we'll learn. And, and it, I had, I think I knew this and I had just forgotten it the last several times I've seen this. I've probably seen this the least of any of the Star Wars films, the six that we're going to talk about. Hmm. And I, it had been a long time since I'd watched it, but one of the things that the emperor drops at the end of it was that all of this is his machinations. Like he basically says, we're just going to park the whole fleet here and I'm just going to lead the whole rebel thing. I'm going to give them everything they need to come at us again. But this time I'm going to beat them at their own game. And that's the thing that gets me. And it's one of my biggest criticisms of this is that the, the big climax, the moment together is the same kind of idea as the first one. It's like, we got another death star and we got another trench to run down, but we're also going to have a space battle. And we're also going to have this, you know, ground battle. And we're also going to have all this crap going on in the death star. So it's, it's the same setting as the first one, but without any of the, I don't know the intrigue to me, like the death star was this, you know, that's no moon. That's a space station. There was gravitas to it. And now it's just like, Oh, they, they built another one. Well, that was pretty fast. Yeah, it, it was pretty fast. They like they did a great job of setting up that Death Star as like the most frightening piece of equipment ever designed in a movie. Yeah, and in in uh, Jedi, it's just like, well, they you know they they still have those plans. They can just make another one, <laughs> and if this blows up, they can make another one and another one. Like uh, you know, I'm wondering yeah. why they didn't just build five of them at once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you couldn't get a discount, you know. Yeah, if, if you're gonna if you're just gonna do it like this, I I don't know. I I've often wondered about that myself. I I just I don't know. I find that to be one of the one of the few problems that I have with this as a setup is that I don't 
I don't know why would why would we need to go back to uh, that setting again there wasn't anything bigger or better like that's what i keep asking myself there wasn't anything cooler for us to go to yeah and also like the death star unlike the you know new hope the death star doesn't fire on a planet in this one like it we don't get to see it uh do anything as impressive as it did in uh as in a new hope it just blows up a few ships here and there uh and yeah, it could have, it would have been nice to see them actually. Like, it would have been nice if that was a threat in the movie, as if that the Death Star is about to fire on Endor. But, right. You know, like, it, it, there's not another planet for it to go after. Yeah. This time, it's just a. It doesn't do any Death Starry things, if I can say that. Like that. That's why I'm. I'm I question the the idea of having um, the Death Star in the. Uh, uh, as a part of the plot, rather having the Death Star there, because what does it what does it accomplish? I mean, I don't know what it what it does. Yeah. Also, like the that shield generator kind of restricts its movement to that exact place in space. Is it can't mm-hmm. leave Endor because that's where the shield generator is. If I guess the idea is that the shield generator is just to keep it safe while it's being constructed or whatever. But the the main thing is that the Death Star is not as fearsome as it was in the in the first movie. They they make the characters more fearsome. Like the emperor is the fearsome character in the in the empire, as opposed to the Death Star. But it, it was just it was more impressive in the in the, that first movie. Yeah, I agree. And you bring up something very interesting there. The emperor is much more of a presence, and that's the first thing here. Vader arrives because they're not on schedule, you know, with the the construction, and he lays on the guy that you know the emperor is coming to oversee this himself. And what we'll find out is that he's there because this is all again part of his master plan or whatever. But that scares the crap out of everybody on the Death Star. I mean, even when Vader's getting ready to roll off, I love how the general is standing there and he's gulping because he's like, "Am I about to get strangled to death? I'm about to get forced <laughs> strangled to death." Like, and I'm sitting there wondering. I'm like, I bet, I bet his buddies are like, "Oh man, it's nice knowing you," you know, <laughs> before he had to run off and and uh, and die because uh, it looks like that was what was going to happen. Of course, that doesn't happen which is yeah. you know Vader's very much a non-entity and a lot of uh, this at least some of that power he doesn't seem to hold it over these guys the way he did some of the other ones he doesn't but mm-hmm. he does have I think his best line in the movie is when he tells that commander you know I hope so commander for your sake the emperor is not as forgiving as I am mm-hmm. that felt like the Vader from the last movie and that's the last time we'll be saying that yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it definitely is a different uh, different take on the old Vader too yeah but I don't know I, I like the idea that the emperor is going to be the ultimate bad guy well he's always been the ultimate bad guy right but we are definitely in a place where he's going to be a more active participant, I think is what I'm trying to say. And that would be, um, I don't know, I think that's that's a nice change of pace, is that he in the past, he has just sort of been hanging around out there, right? And we didn't really know what he was, other than the shadow and a um, hologram and all that stuff. And now he's he's going to be on the... The big, you know, he's going to be on the Death Star. I mean, what? How? How more? How big of a stake can it? How much bigger can the stakes be if he's going to show up and be a part of that? Yeah, and that is one thing this movie does not uh, fail to deliver on is the this building up of the Emperor for two movies, and we finally get him. And I think Ian McDermott is the probably because he is the best performance in the film. They deliver everything on that character and more. He's exactly the character I want the way they talk about him, build him up. And I just love how he's this, you know, like I said on the Empire show, this combination 
of this dark, you know, sorcerer wizard character. And at the same time, he is a brilliant tactician and this Adolf Hitler kind of character who's, you know, he's, he's all about the force lighting coming out of his fingertips, but he also, you know, knows how to command an army and so on. And he's a, a fantastic villain. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is he is as feared as any character has been, at least the way they talk about him on this, you know, these, these films. And yet we haven't seen him do anything yet, but when he shows up, he actually gets stuff to do and you see why he commands such presence and, and look at even the way that he sort of lords over Vader. Even That's the thing that I think surprised me the most watching it again this time was, you know, Vader's the baddest guy in the universe, right? Except for this dude who's better than he is. And I, I just, I find that to be um, very interesting that there's somebody that's better than, than Vader uh, out there. And uh, this is the guy he's afraid of, you know, what this, the old thing, right? You know, what is the boogeyman afraid of? Well, yeah. he's afraid of this. And that's, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's pretty cool. I mean, you talk about archetypes too. I mean, you know, the, the evil bad guy in the cloak. I mean, you know, Voldemort, anyone, I mean, you know, that, that certainly borrows a lot from this. Not the only thing that does, but I, I got that sort of sense of it as I was watching this, this time I was like, ah, feeling, feeling a little bit of the Harry Potter here. Oh yeah. Like his, does that design of, you know, this old man in a black cloak. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's been used before. Uh, Return of the Jedi, but whenever I see that an image of a of a guy in a black cloak, I just immediately that image just stands out as you know the the Emperor from Star Wars, and I this char- I just love this character so much. It sometimes sometimes it doesn't work where a where it's a villain who's very aware of the fact that he's a villain. Yeah, has fun with the fact that he's a villain. Sometimes that works brilliantly, like with the Joker or Hannibal Lecter, and it works great with uh with uh with the Emperor. Like like Vader, you know, I don't think Vader thinks of himself as a bad guy like you know he, like in an empire he's just looking for his son uh he's all this horrible stuff to find his son emperor is he's just all about you know i'm doing all this to conquer the galaxy and my end game is just to continue conquering the galaxy and and be the emperor mm-hmm. yeah i know that that's the thing is what he wants you understand that his end game is we're going to bring skywalker and turn him to us and we're going to crush the rebellion you know that's the whole thing and i i love how Vader drops it on all of them that, you know, you better hope you get back on schedule because the Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. I love that line. And I'm like, well, since when were you the forgiving type? You know, which I guess is supposed to set up just how bad the dude really is, right? So, oh, yeah. But then we take a huge detour. And I think that's a, a common you know, comment we can make about this film is that we build up this dramatic tension about the Emperor and Darth Vader and stuff. And then we go off in the middle of nowhere. You know, where apparently Lando and Chewie never return from. And it's it's the droids walking into the desert scene. And what we'll er- ultimately learn is what I have termed here Jabba's Den of Sin, uh, complete with a solo on the wall. I mean, uh, you know, now, if we had not seen it uh, beforehand, Kurt, we would have thought Jabba the Hutt was, you know, a cartoon, right? You know, because that's if you believe the special editions for what they're supposed to be, then that's all he really was, right? But this is supposed to be the first time we see Jabba the Hutt. And I remember seeing this and being like, wow, how repulsive. It's a big slug. Oh, yeah. Jabba the Hutt. I mean, the two, this movie delivers two amazing villains with the Emperor and with, with Jabba the Hutt. I mean, what an amazing piece of creature design. I mean, Star Wars is just always like 
in all three films, they've just led the charge in movies think re think the way people think about creature design in movies. And this is probably the finest. It's like this is a toss up between this Chewie and Yoda for uh, best creature. Cause yeah, just, I love this idea of he's a gangster, this powerful feared criminal figure. And he's a giant slug who <laughs> weighs, weighs a ton and probably can't, you know, move very fast. Just this, and just disgusting character, character who thinks as disgusting as he looks. And, uh, I, I, this also occurred to me. It's like I always thought of him as a great character, great performance by the puppet people, the use of his eyes. And it's a puppet who doesn't speak English. Yeah. And yet I think they made an amazing character out of that. Yeah, and that the the crazy thing is he's all subtitles, and it's just a lot of sl- uh, It's just a lot of that. It's like if you're you know, Fozzy the bear had, had eaten too much one day, or so that's what it kind of sounds like. And was speaking, you know, Dothraki or something, and that's what uh, that's what he is. But it is a convincing performance because you feel the weight of the guy, and I don't mean that you know, no pun intended. <laughs> he carries the room like you get while people are scared of him because he, all he has to do is wave his hand and stuff goes down you know that's the thing and and the droids come to him and they they play another message i love this we got another video message here from good old luke and boy you talk about somebody that looks different I was like, man, it's been six years since that first movie. Mark Hamill looks 50 years older. What did they do? It's the hair, right? It's that Justin Bieber haircut. It's the hair, and it's also the car accident he got into before making uh, Empire, True. which necessitated the whole Wampus scene. Right. So they had to find an excuse. It's like, how the hell do we explain that Luke got so – his face got so effed up? It's like, well, let's write a scene where he's mauled by a bear, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and Luke, he's absolutely – very different character. I have nothing. I have nothing wrong. No problems with Mark Hamill's performance, but the character is very much a different guy than we had in Empire and certainly in New Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love his outfit. I, I mean, he's he's like he's all in black, uh, yeah. which is, goes against the you know any hero archetype. All in black. His entrance, uh, jumping ahead a bit, but his entrance when he's all in in the black cloak. Mm-hmm. I for a second it's like. It almost looks like for a split second that looks like a like looks like something Vader would wear. Well, and th- uh, and that's the thing is that when you watch this film multiple times, you get all the foreshadowing, and that's exactly what they're playing with. I mean, they'll do that throughout this film with him in half shadow, half light, and all this kind of stuff because that's the arc of what we're following here. Ultimately, is that Luke is. He's come a long way. He's now much more skilled in the force somehow, which I want to talk about in just a minute. But he's he's got more command to him. Before he was, you know, he was this impulsive farm boy, and then even last time he, you know, went off half cocked after his friends and he got his arm cut off and stuff. But now he seems to have matured, right? And so he offers this deal. It's like I'm going to let you have these two droids and just let me have Solo back. And of course, Jabba blows that off. Like, yeah, sure, I'll take your droids, but you're not getting Solo. And they show us Han Solo on the wall, and of course, Boba Fett's walking around in the background and. You know, it's it's you know, it's like wow. So Han is exactly where we left him. Now, I, I want to d- detour for just a second, get off on something here that I've never understood, even as a kid, did not understand. They take C three PO and R two D two down to the droid human resources unit to tell them what their jobs are going to be, and there's this little box trash can droid that is getting its feet like branded, and it's like they're they're torturing the droid. Why torture the droid? At first, well, I thought they're just branding it, but they do it twice, and it squeals. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, that would be, and that if I'm not mistaken, that was Gonk, one of my my favorite droid from Star Wars, the the garbage can droid. Yeah, and yeah, I, this occurred to me when I was watching, uh, you know, watching that first movie, and then thinking about Gonk and his appearance here, and I was like, he's screaming when they're brand, when they're branding him with hot irons, and I'm thinking, why would that hurt a robot? And who designs a robot that can feel pain and <laughs> scream? Yeah, what kind of uh, sick person comes up with that? And I guess he just must have, you know, he was the last guy serving drinks. And I guess without the wheels, he was spilling drinks all the time. So they got to, yeah, they got to, they got to burn his feet off. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's funny to think about, you know, cause it, it is ridiculous. And, and it's one of the many things that you realize this is definitely here for the kids. Like this is yeah. something the kids would <gasps> react to, but you <laughs> know, any kind of adult <laughs> logic apply, applied to this and you start going, well, hold on a minute. Why why would there be a droid that could feel pain? Isn't that kind of against the purpose? Like the idea of having droids is that they don't bother with stuff like pain, so they don't care. That's that's yeah. why you like them. And they're oh, yeah. also completely replaceable. Like why would you torture one? Is he supposed to learn from that? And if so, <laughs> where was that kind of thing when I had my first uh, computer that was incredibly slow so I could torture it? So Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I definitely I definitely got to say that until Han Solo shows up, like that space between Vader making his announcement you know, about the Emperor showing up and Han Solo showing up, there's like a whatever that is, let's say 10, uh, 10 minutes. There's a 10 minute bit in this movie where I love it when this happens, where I take a second and realize there are no humans in this portion of the film. We're not, everything is either uh, a puppet or a makeup design or a creature. They have totally outdone themselves. They've, they've toppled the cantina scene by a thousand miles the the creature design on java's palace they is unbelievable yeah still even today watching it in 2014 all of those creatures look amazing i wouldn't change up any of them what's his name bit fortuna the guy with mm-hmm. the tentacle coming out of his uh, back of his head and around his neck great creature design i love that there is not like one particular creature that's dominating like java's gathered all these people from all different kinds of planets they're clearly not all from tatooine like the pig creature like yep. none of the designs have anything to do with the other the creature you know the, the twi'leks the women with the tentacles in the back of their head don't look anything like any of the other creatures it's all great like the only human there's a a few human characters in the in the background just to i guess to fill in the space but uh i just i just love these creature designs the, the creature design in the in this java palace thing that's the best uh most amazing fantasy part of the movie like i love the band like the musical number is one thing but i just i just love that the the creature design of the band like uh max rebo the keyboard player the the big blue elephant thing i think everybody remembered him and i i got one thing though i'll say about this i don't disagree with you yes the creature design is amazing but i am incredibly aware that i am now on a set like before we've been on a lot of sets and stuff, but I, it didn't call itself out to me. I didn't feel it as much this time. I'm, I'm very much aware that I'm on a set. This is a set. It looks like a big set and they put the money instead of the, in the atmosphere shot, they put it on the creatures and stuff, which is fine, but it is a change of pace and it won't be the last time that, you know, star Wars decides to do that. Uh, That is, this is something that, 
will go on and on throughout this series. And we got to talk about that musical number because if you watch the, the reissue, the DVD, it's a new one. It's different. One, it still sounds like a really bad 80s song, like from the Miami <laughs> Sound Machine or something. But now you've got now you've got some CGI characters dancing around and growling in front of you, too. Like, I don't I hated it the first time. It's even worse now. Like, that is that is a horrible, horrible tune. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, like, I, I, I admire the effort. Mm-hmm. If, if that led to, say, a great actual musical number, let's say it led to something on the par with, like, something like Baz Luhrmann does in Moulin Rouge, where it's, like, like genuinely impressive to look at, and maybe the song is something catchy or whatever. It really sticks out now. And, and my biggest problem with it is that the CG characters are 1997 CG characters yeah. on, that, on that Blu-ray. And it's like, yeah, it does not does not hold up i like i admire the effort i like the creature design i like that the male singer harry character i like that character (laughs) design but it 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 definitely sticks out and uh it's 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 uh it's not the strongest and uh the the special edition they add a lot of stuff like empire had like we said empire had next to nothing a few cg Mm -hmm. shots of cloud city all the improvements on empire uh, improved not well and improved they didn't hurt the film at all they they made it a little bit a little bit better in some cases but the improve the improvements the additions in uh uh, for the special edition of jedi in a lot of cases hurt the film Uh, yeah it's just adding stuff on the screen like that's the thing that gets me is it's I, I don't know what purpose this serves other than to just put more weird stuff on the screen. And yeah. you've hit something there before Han Solo shows up, and he's coming up here in just a second so we can talk about him finally. But there's a there's also a gap in anything that matters happening, too. Like, <laughs> there's there's really nothing going on. Like, if you got up to go get something to drink and came back, and you heard that awful music played in the background, that's you really wouldn't miss anything. I, I'm convinced. Because... Well, I'll just say now, like, I, I had to watch the scene twice because I realized after it passed and before we get to what happens with Han here, I was like, wait a minute, did anything happen there that I needed to know? Because I didn't write anything down. And I've been <laughs> writing stuff down for a while. And so I you know, went back, watched it, and I was like, no, no, nothing nothing really happens. So, uh, that, and, that's, and that's different because there hasn't been any wasted space in these films, I felt like. Not the first two, at least. Now, that's the first moment where I'm like, yeah, there's really nothing that's going on there. They're just kind of... Running the time along. Oh yeah, like you talk about perfect pacing. Those first two movies, just like there's not like you know there's nothing there that you think, ah, this could have been trimmed or this could have been longer. Like it's all just it's all just you know it's perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in in Jedi, I I had the exact same thing. There's a lot. There's a few moments when I was watching the movie, I was taking notes, and there was like a you know ten minute gap. It's like I didn't write anything down in the last ten minutes. There was nothing noteworthy. Yeah, that, that was happening, and that does happen. Uh, not so much in the in the Jabba uh, s- stuff. I think all the, I think the first forty five minutes of this movie with the Jabba stuff is the strongest part of the, is my favorite part of the film, so to speak. And uh, I think it's for the most part it's it's great. And for the most part, I'd say it's as it's as strong as Empire stuff uh, on, on uh, in certain parts. But uh, but yeah, that's a problem. The, the editing on this movie isn't as tight as it was in the last two movies. Well, I think the the shift in focus in this film is it's all over the place, and I disagree with you. I don't think the first bit of this film, the first act of this film, is not nearly as engaging as what happened the first act of that. You can't top that battle scene, not even not not at all. Like there's there's none of the tension to me. The best part of the film comes much later. We'll we'll talk about that in the third act, but um, and I we can get into that. But I, I don't I don't think it's as strong. But I, I will say this. 
it's different and it's keeping me wondering, well, what's coming next? What's coming next? I'm just going with the story, right? And what we get next is this, you know, very short bounty hunter coming in with this very tall Wookiee. And, you know, no surprise that bounty hunter turns out to be Leia. But she's there to, you know, I, I want the Wookiee. I want to bargain with the Wookiee. And then she hangs around and she sort of has this halfway flirtation with Boba Fett, like across the room. They have that <laughs> whole, you know, uh, I don't know, the point moment. Like, the opposite. It was a weird like I was, moment. I felt like I was watching Night at the Roxbury and like they didn't really know how to talk to each other. It was very, yeah. very strange. But there, you know, had that going on and then there's you know more dancing around and we see the slave girl sent to the pit. We didn't even talk about that. We don't know what happens to her, but it didn't sound good below. And as as it turns out, of course, you know, everybody goes to sleep because the club eventually does go, you know, down for the night. And um this bounty hunter punches some buttons and Han falls out of the uh, carbonite and takes her helmet off. Of course, it's, it's Leia in disguise. And now, right before then, there's another thing that happened that I, I, don't, I don't really know, unless it's just to tell the audience that something's about to go down. We see this dude walk by in this weird-looking mask, and he pulls it down, and it's Lando. And I'm like, well, how long has he been there? You know, And that's never explained, other than he'll show up in a minute at the climax of the first act. Yeah, well, that bit, I've heard a lot of people complain about that bit, and it's, it deserves to be complained about. It's like, why is Lando doing that? It's not obscuring his eyes. Why is he pulling his mask down? It's, it's 100% for the audience, just so weak, because there's no other way to say, hey, Lando's here. Uh, but yeah, that moment is like, that sticks out. Luckily, it's not that long. It's not as long as I remember, like, you know, kind of. I think, I think they that, trimmed it, it. I do think they trimmed it a little bit because I remember it being like a long, lingering look at his face. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that doesn't need to happen that way. I think they could have done a better job. They could have had like maybe Lando puts Chewie in the cell and say, "Hey, it's yeah. okay, it's me." There's a lot of there's so many things in this movie that's like, you know what they could have done better and mm-hmm. they didn't. Yeah, that, that's one. There seems to be a lot. I there's a lot of times I feel the same way, Kurt. Yeah, I I think like, "Oh, that could have been so much more." But anyway, we get we finally get uh Han Solo back, which Welcome back, Han. I'm glad. I, I was glad that they finally got him back. I wondered when and how they were going to get him back on the in the in the story and in the set. And I, I like that this whole first act is really there just to get him back. Like this is all about we're going to go get Han Solo back. Yeah, it's all about like we couldn't possibly have been more depressed to see Han Solo <laughs> go. So yeah, and to see him come back is is great. However, when he comes back, I mean. Uh, It'd be nice if he was as cool as he was in the last two movies, but he's not. Yeah, can, I we, don't just know. Go ahead, can we just go ahead and talk about it? Yeah, like our problems with Han Solo. Please go ahead, because I have lots of things to say too. So. Uh, well, I got a bunch. One thing, I, I think Harrison Ford. I don't know. Maybe he was in that period of time where he was giving nothing but great performances. He's right. You know, he's he's writing that run of Star Wars, Empire, Blade Runner, Raiders of the yes. Lost Ark, and then this, and then he does Temple of Doom the next year, and. I think Jedi is his worst performance. You look at him in Temple of Doom. I don't like that. I have a lot of problems with that movie. Mm-hmm. He's amazing in, in Temple of Doom, as he is in Last Crusade and so on. But in Jedi, he's just a completely different character. He's way uh, – it seemed like he was talking slower. He was way like nicer. He had none of the – it's like they took all his teeth away in this movie. And just in terms of an action role in the film – Whose idea was it to make him blind and un- incapable of performing any action in the first, you know, 45 minutes of this movie? There's so many things I would think. It's like, well, like, why can't – I always thought – I was thinking last night, Han Solo probably feels so horrible that 
it really is his fault that they got into all that trouble. They wouldn't have gone to Bespin if it wasn't for him having to get away on his own and having to leave the re- the rebellion and so on. Like it's kind of his, half his fault that he got caught. Mm-hmm. So I would think as soon as he gets thought, he would feel responsible for that and he would take it upon himself to work his way out of the situation and he would get revenge on Jabba and, and so on. But he's blind and he can't do anything. He just stands around being blind, doesn't recognize, you know, chewy until he hears him and just i just i just like and also this is definitely a sticking point is it seemed like every single line harrison ford had was 80 yard and i could tell it was 80 yard 80 yard like i could if if you can't tell then you know then it's nothing but i could tell it's like he clearly did not say that on the set that was 80 yard and it sounded like he was on tranquilizers when he was doing the 80 yard can we talk too about that you mentioned something else there they've done absolutely no work at all to try and match up lips to screen there's a lot of times when there's lines coming out and there's clearly no one talking. Like yeah. it's not the only time that happens, Kurt. I, you know, here's the thing. I think this is his worst performance because I don't think he wants to be there. I'm just going to call it out. He said it. A, he said it a lot of different ways that he told George, "You need to knock me off in the first act. We need to have some weight happen in the first act. I got no mama. I got no papa. I got no future. I've served my purpose. You need to let me go because I got other stuff I want to go do. That's the reality of it. And Lawrence Kasdan killed him. And Lucas said, "Absolutely not. No, you're not taking him out." And he kept him in this movie for whatever reason. And I agree with Harrison Ford. Most of the time I will agree with the director and a writer. You know what you're doing. Actors just do the act, but he was right. Han Solo needed to go like that. There was, he is a cool guy and I love the character, but there is, he accomplishes next to nothing the way they brought him back. He, they, they completely nut him here because he's not able to do anything cool. Cause he can't be a swashbuckler cause he can't see anything. And they even play that off as a joke. They don't have any kind of showdown between him and Boba Fett. You know, when that goes down, that's totally wasted. And we'll talk about that in a sec. And then uh, it's all played for laughs. It's all comedy. I'm like, this is not the, you know, the comedy you got off of Han Solo was all unintentional. It was because he was a smart aleck. That was the comedy. It wasn't because he was, he was cracking jokes. And I just hated that. Oh yeah. I mean, like, in, in in those movies, all the the laughs from Han Solo was like, "Wow, what a dick!" That was yeah. I can't believe he just he can't believe he said that. Or man, he's being a dick to C three PO, or whatever. But like, yeah, he's such a he's like he's such a nice guy in this movie. And it's like, where's the where's the guy who shot first? Where's the guy who the second he sees Darth Vader, he pulls out his gun and shoots him? Like, where is that mm-hmm. guy? And no, like I said, they took his teeth away. And um, oh, le- hey, speaking of pulling out their gun and shooting first, you know when Luke finally shows up here, because of course you know Jabba and everybody uh, they don't hear the forty aliens behind the door, you know as Leia has freed him. So of course they they're all taken prisoner. He's thrown in there. Leia gets in the slave girl costume, and there's nothing to be else to be said about that. That was a cool costume idea, and Carrie Fisher yes, looks looks awesome in it, and it's been copied a billion times. And I'm sure she hates it now, but or maybe she laughs about it now. She's old enough now she can laugh about this stuff. But the, you know, we see all this, and Luke shows up, and we've already talked about when he comes on the scene, he's he's waving his hands, he's knocking people out with his you know force stuff, and when he's he force to, choking, yeah, and when he tries to reason with Josh and Jabba won't listen. What does he do? He force grabs a gun and he's about to shoot him in the face. And I was like, man, Luke is a badass now. Absolutely. They, they gave Luke all the Han Solo stuff to do. Yeah. Which I don't disagree with. That's cool. But why can't you have both of them? What's the problem with that? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like that thing of reach, like 
I, I can't believe Luke did that. That was such a such an impressive use of the forces, like Luke using a gun again. Uh, and you know, that's the kind of thing. Like uh, if Han Solo had his eyes, <laughs> I would say that's something I would say. Make Han Solo do that. Make him literally grab a gun or something, and uh, or 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 do like do something. Yeah, what is he? Anything. When when he's in front of Jabba, he like whimpers and begs, like I'll pay you triple. You're throwing away a fortune. Don't be ridiculous. I'm like, that's not how Han Solo talks, even to Jabba the Hutt. And if we want to go ahead and just retcon our whole history, we saw him have a conversation with the Jabba the Hutt. He pretty much told him, hey, you'll get your money when I get time, pal. And and that was it, right? Like that's I don't I don't know. I find that to be the the most egregious part of all of this is that. Uh, Solo is is totally clean and nothing to do, and then uh, uh, Luke is acting like Han Solo, especially when they throw him in the pit. We got to talk about the Sarlacc. Oh yeah, I will say this: the Rancor. When, yeah, the Rancor. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the Sarlacc. We got to talk about the Rancor because the Rancor monster. Now you talk about a a great piece of puppet action, and I'm so glad when they went back to special edition these they didn't CGI the hell out of this thing. They just let that performance go. The puppeteers really did a great job with this. You like the way they did Job of the Hut. I the way the Rancor piece is done it looks amazing, even to this day. It's got that kind of Ray Harryhausen, Clash of the Titans, Jason okay, the Argonauts thing going on. But I love the Rancor. Yeah, the Rancor is one of Star Wars's greatest monsters. And seeing that on a big screen, yeah, just the way they shot that, uh, I it, it does look like it's a 30-foot-tall m- monster. And it's I think it what is a genuinely frightening thing. Like, yeah. Uh, I love I love what I love about it is how tiny its eyes are. For some reason, that <laughs> frightens me. It gets these tiny beady eyes, giant claws, giant mouth. Uh, this you know all these you know this weird scaly body, but these tiny beady eyes and something about and like something that big in a space that small. I love like that's a great Jabba trait is that he has something like that under his floor, and that's what he does with people that he disapproves of. And again, it's great that like it's a great scene for Lou, but that should have been a Han Solo scene. Yes. Because Luke doesn't use any of his force powers. Story-wise, that could have easily been Han Solo in that pit. And wouldn't that have been amazing? I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to know where was Luke's force powers? Why couldn't he have brought the thing, you know, the the door down or fought the door coming up against the thing? Or why couldn't he have pushed, force pushed it back? Or are we supposed to believe he's not that deep with it yet? Yet he's already, you know, taken out half the palace at that point with his force powers that's playing it both ways and you can't have it both ways it's either it's one or the other kids you gotta you gotta do it one way or the other and i i hate the fact that they don't give him i i don't know they don't give him his due like he he basically gets a a bone and sticks it in the thing's teeth and it you know that makes him the rancor drop him then he gets a rock and he smashes the door and the door drops on it now it's a cool death but it's not very jedi and again, it's more what Han Solo would do. And I feel like, and I have no proof of this, I feel like at some point that was supposed to be the both of them in that pit. And mm. then all of it just became Luke's deal. And we made Luke Han Solo. And that's, I don't know, that's a problem. I, I would have rather that been at least both of them, if not just Han Solo. And then you have, you know, Luke off to the side doing something else, I guess. Oh, yeah. And, and that uh, and it is great, the, the Rancor. The way Luke brings him down is impressive. And I love uh, – it is a great death. And yeah, you, like the, you do kind of feel for the Rancor. And it's 100% one of the kiddie moments. But I love the Rancor uh, uh, trainers or the guys yeah. who manage him. Unbelievably heartbroken to see that this hideous, demonic creature is dead. 
and they're sobbing over it. I, I still think that's funny. That's one of the what's one of the moments that I think is still very funny is like, you know, these this he, these despicable gangster characters, and yet this breaks our heart that this beautiful creature is is has had his head crushed in with the door. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that even something like that has something that loves it, and you know, and I think that's. I don't think that's in there just for the kids, Kurt. I think that's a theme that even the most evil thing on earth has something that loves it because <laughs> that is certainly what's going to happen in the third act of this film. Yeah. We're going to be sold that over and over again. I don't think that's there arbitrarily. I, Lawrence Kasdan's not an idiot. He knows how to write this formula screenplays and certainly George Lucas does, especially after having done something like Raiders. And so uh, that follows such of that. But, uh, you know, we, we get out to now they're all going to be punished. They're going to be thrown into... Well, before the special edition, uh, you know, turned it into a Venus flytrap, it was just basically the butthole in the desert. And it was the most, I mean, talk about an awful idea. We're going to throw you in something that takes thousands of years to digest you. All the while, you're not dead, you're alive, you're aware that you're being digested. Yeah. What an awful hell that you could dream up. I was like, man, that is that is some vicious stuff. But, of course, the only thing getting thrown in there are the bad guys, one by one by one. And yeah. uh, I, I think Family Guy probably spoofed it best, but the uh, you know when everybody's going to gonna finally do the, the throwover and everybody starts nodding at each other, yeah. and it's like it goes on and on and it keeps on. Keeps going. <laughs> there's, there's nod after nod after nod after nod. Lando's there. Everybody nods. And then finally we get, you know, the... Uh, uh, I guess that was R2-D2 throws Luke his lightsaber. And I love how Luke gets a hold of that lightsaber, though, man. It's not choreographed. It's not very graceful. He's just hacking at people. It's Conan yeah. the Barbarian on that little skiff. And I will say that is a good action scene. Oh, man. That like that, that blew my mind when I first saw the movie. And it's still fantastic. That is a great Star Wars action scene. Definitely benefited by the fact this is the last action scene where all of the characters are involved. Leia, Han, Chewie, Lando, Luke, R2, C-3PO are all in this action scene working together to uh, to escape this and bring down the enemies. And it is a fantastic action scene. And I, th- and character-wise, is, is probably the most invested one and uh, the one where I, f- I feel the most. And uh, I love that you know they start tossing people into that uh, into that Sarlacc pit. And uh, of course, Boba Fett. Happens to uh, be there, and that's another thing we pointed out in the New Hope. I don't know why he was there in a New Hope, hanging with Jabba, and I don't know why he's hanging with Jabba again. Like he's a bounty hunter. A bounty hunter doesn't stick around. Bounty hunter moves from place to place, and why he's sticking around with with Jabba again? It makes it look like he's just Jabba's bodyguard again, and it makes it look like he's Jabba's incompetent bodyguard because when he takes off in that jetpack and sails onto that uh, that skiff, it's like, oh, here we go, shit's on, and he points his gun at at Luke and he and Luke cuts the gun in half with the saber and it's like Boba Fett would know not to point a gun at uh, a Jedi who's standing that close and there's there's so many things like that it's like like the whole like, Boba Fett was so menacing in that first movie like when he you know he's hiding in the garbage you know planning like thinking three steps ahead it's like oh this guy is actually really good at what he does and it's like he sees as lame as uh, as Han Solo is like when he uh when he points his gun, his, his arm blaster at Luke, he, he fight like he they they should have took this out in the special edition. He fires and misses <laughs> by like like by you know ninety degrees off. Yeah. He, he and and, uh, and Han Solo you know uh, accidentally hits him in the jetpack with this spear and he goes flying off into the into the barge and lands into the Sarlacc pit, and that is 
such a lame thing on, on two levels. One, I can't believe Boba Fett got taken out that easily and so lamely. And two, I think another this would have been another Han Solo improvement. If there's any person Han Solo despises, it's Boba Fett for what he did in Empire, mm-hmm. for for facilitating all this horrible shit. And I think Han Solo, if he had his eyes, would get Boba. He would beat Boba Fett onto the ground, rip his helmet off, you know, beat him into the dirt, pick up a blaster, and shoot him in the head. Like that's that's Han Solo from A New Hope. And well, even, that's, even better yet, if he had gotten a fight with him, knocked his helmet off, grabbed a blaster, and shot him in the chest till he fell off into the Sarlacc, that would have been a better death. That's the gunfighter's death. That's the go back to the the Clint Eastwood Lee Van Cleef thing we were talking about in A New Hope. Yeah. That's what the fight could have been and probably should have been if we're just honest about it. That's what it. That's why it should have gone down. But this, it's just throwing away a character that, and I now realize in the extended universe that he has much more to do and he gets out of it and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? In the movies about George, he's dead. So unless he shows up in episode seven as this really old guy in that Mandalorian armor that's all, you know, acid rusted from being in the desert stomach or whatever, then I, you know, I assume he's dead. So I, that's just a bad way for it to go. And that, but, I'll say this. That's the weakest part of what is a good action scene and a good fight. And I love how everybody gets involved. Like you say, Leia Cho. I, mean, I love how she, she does the garage. She goes Luca Brasi on, yeah. <laughs> on uh, Job of the Hut. I never thought of it like that until you know, I haven't rewatched The Godfather very recently. And then watching this, I was like, that is very much that same kind of scene. He looks the same in the face when he's choking yeah. out. I was, oh, it's very grotesque, but it was a great way for him to go. And it makes Leia that very active character again that she's been the first two two episodes. I wish I could say she remained that active the rest of this film. That's really kind of the last thing she does the whole movie. Unless I'd stand around and whimper and talk. And you know, she, I think she shoots a stormtrooper later, but there's not a lot else for her to do. But that's a great scene, and I love Luke swinging around on the uh, – the Tarzan swing up to the cell barge and they shoot the deck gun into the barge. And of course they all get away right as it explodes. I don't know. I, I thought that was just a fascinating action moment. And I love how pretty much they came there to get their one friend and they kill everybody. Like that, that's, that's pretty gangster. If you think about it for a Jedi and you know, some of the rebellion. Because these people are not part of the Empire. That should be pointed out. Java and this crew, they are not part of the Empire. They're just, you know, criminals on their own. And they all get taken out. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's another thing I love about this universe is that this, mo- this movie established f- forever for me that, you know, the Empire is one thing, but there's still, you know, there's so many planets. Of course, there's going to be a myriad of criminals in this universe, and Jabba is just one of them. And... uh and yeah, just and just before we finish that, I got to point out my favorite Java moment is when Leia pulls out that thermal detonator and turns on everyone starts freaking out and Java just starts laughing and just like, oh, I like this guy. I, I, that again, that that to me is my favorite puppet performance moment in the movies. Like, oh, geez, Java is kind of Java is a sick bastard. Yeah. Because, again, he, he doesn't get rattled by any of this stuff. It's a very, well, to borrow from another show we've talked about recently, it's a very Tywin Lannister moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> That's what you can do? Okay. You know, and it's it feels the same, you know. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I you know, the, the first act ends, though, with our heroes, just like the last time, splitting up. You know, yeah. you've got the crew going back to meet up with the rebellion, and Luke says, "I've got to go and take care of something." And we learn that he's going to head back to Dagobah, and uh, we'll get into that in a minute, though. But we do flash back to the Death Star, and here comes the Emperor, 
And well, you talk about, I mean, they laid out the red carpet when Vader got there. Well, they really did it when the Emperor came on board. That is a very menacing scene. And to watch Darth Vader kneeling before that, that was just a, an impactful moment. Because I, I guess I just didn't remember that he was doing that in that hologram scene in, in Empire Strikes Back. But it hits home much bigger here when he, you know, the Emperor comes off of that ship. And, you know, he's just this crusty looking old man in a robe, but Vader and everybody else is paying deference to him. Yeah, his relationship with Vader is uh, is fascinating. And one of the things that even the prequels I really do like is mm-hmm. how is that it's this really it's not just, you know, master servant or, you know, uh, or a military, you know, rank relationship. It's like it's like a really sick, twisted father son relationship mm-hmm. that uh, is sicker the more the, the prequels uh, go on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way, like the way, you know, Emperor keeps calling, referring to him as my friend, not Lord Vader or anything. Like that's, you know, like and again, yeah, the way Vader is like, you know, the biggest badass in the galaxy, and yet there's, you know, he doesn't cower in fear, but it's like, you know, he gives, he, he'll do anything this guy says, you know, and uh, it does make the Emperor look that much scarier. Is that, you know, Vader will do anything to please this guy. Yeah, and it you get the sense of you know you start getting his plan. He says we got to turn Skywalker to the dark side because I've foreseen it. He's going to come to us. I know it's going to happen. And that's the first time you're like, oh wow, he knows Luke, or he thinks he's got a bead on the fact that Luke is going to come to them. And I'm like, wow, how in touch with the Force is this guy? You know, if he knows that much about it. And he seems to know the future, and it's all heavy, dun, 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 you know, that Imperial March is playing and all that stuff. And it's just, it's just a dark scene. And it goes to an even darker place because when we flash next to Dagobah, you know, Yoda was old last time. Now he's like really old. Like there's supposed to be what a year has passed between the yeah. last film, and it's <laughs> like he aged a thousand years. Training Luke and getting dropped by him in the swamp <laughs> added years to the old boy's life. And I don't know. I, I, I've heard a lot of like the serious Star Wars fans I know and stuff say this is the moment when Yoda's character runs out of usefulness and they just <laughs> let him go, you know. And that's I, that's not a bad way of saying what happens to him. It's like, well, you sort of served your purpose now, and it's time to kill you. And I feel like that's what they do with a lot of. Oh, I feel like that's what they do with the character here. And and I don't know. I mean, was there more? Did you want to see more? out of Yoda, was there something else you thought like he could do maybe, or you feel like this was time to let him go? Well, I guess story wise, I don't have a problem with the fact that with the way he tells uh, Luke, well, no more training do you require. You already know that which you need. Like you're, you're good. Like you, yeah. you got the goods. I don't know why they had to kill Yoda off. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they could have just, I mean, like he's, like, he survived long this long on that planet. Yeah. Like you really did point out, like he was spry in the last movie, you know, like he was, Jump it like crawling around in Luke's uh, food, uh, fighting with R two, and yeah, in a year it's like I guess lifting up that X wing in the last movie just really just uh, <laughs> yeah. destroyed him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and but I, I will say this the this scene with with Yoda, I would say is the last time in this for a long at least for a, uh, until like the last you know ten minutes where I felt that same kind of uh, emotional uh, resonance that I got in the last two movies, like with empire is that when Yoda, it, when Yoda's dying, I, it, I, to me, that felt powerful the way mm-hmm. Yoda dies and fades away. Like, uh, like, uh, Obi-Wan was able to make himself do on the death star. And, uh, well, before, yeah, you, set, 
Yeah, before he even dies, though, he lays some heavy stuff on Luke. It's you, you know, the the last bit of your training is you've got to go destroy your father. You, yeah. you know, he confirms for him, yes, Darth Vader is your father, and yes, you must destroy him. And the last thing he tells him is that there's another Skywalker. Yeah. And then you know he fades off, and Luke's left to figure that out. And then we get Obi Wan and his, you know, one of two appearances in this part. <laughs> I love how the ghost of Obi Wan is like, I better sit down to talk to you about this. I'm like, you're a <laughs> ghost, man. What is, what is your problem? I guess Alec Guinness is like, I'm sitting down if I'm doing any lines and anything more than half a page, I'm sitting down on a stump somewhere. But the ghost takes a seat, <laughs> and I even thought that was funny as a kid. I was like, what's the ghost sitting down? <laughs> but the ghost sits, and they have this whole conversation. Of course, Luke figures out Leia is his sister. And um, I don't know what I mean. What did you make of that? Uh, that's a that's a trope that's been in a lot of different films. I mean, it's certainly in one of my favorite film series when they reveal that Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' sister in Halloween mm-hmm. Two. That's a, a spoiler alert, by the way. That's a big uh, that's a big deal. And you know, I don't know. I, was it any surprise or I don't know? How do you feel about the idea that there's another Skywalker? Well, it's a nice shock. It's a nice surprise. But uh, I th- I'm not the first person to say this. It made the universe seem a little bit smaller. It's like these, like in, in New Hope, it's like yeah. these two characters that never would have met the past they were going in their lives. They happen to be brother and sister. Uh, I think the way actually is explained in Sith, the way they're separated, I that that made it a little bit easier to buy. But yeah, the fact that this, you know, these two characters that before this we would have maybe seen like a love triangle between han solo luke and leia and find out no you can't that can't happen anymore because yeah it's his sister it's like well that kind of kills a certain amount of you know uh energy and between that relationship but it adds a little bit of strength you know a little bit of uh importance uh towards the end of the film but it kind of it's a completely out of left field and it absolutely destroys that perfect moment in empire when she when she kisses uh luke uh, to piss off Han, you watch that now. It's 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 impossible to watch that. Thinking, Ugh. yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's icky, right? Like that's the thing. Everybody's like, that's uh, does that count? You know, does that they have to feel bad about that because they didn't know? You know, and I'm like, eh, that's still that's still it's still incest, kids. It's, you know, you didn't know. It doesn't doesn't matter. I I don't know. I thought that it does make that a weird moment and sort of unintentionally it does, but that's just where people are going to go. And I, I don't know. I was okay with the idea that there was another, if at some point Leia was going to use the force to do something. Um, I would argue with you that she never does not, not beyond just having a pretty good sense of intuition. That's, that's about all she seems to be able to muster out of the force uh, when it's said and done. Whereas Luke, who never even knew anything about it till he met the old hermit in the desert one day, um, now seems to be able to, you know, command, things at will um and having an incredible lack of training let's just talk about that for a minute how the heck has luke been practicing his jedi did he go check out like jedi books from the library and read up on it like you know karate kid style or i mean how's how there's nobody around to teach him anything about the jedi they're all dead so except for yoda and darth vader and you know not exactly the best teachers and yeah ben, ben kenobi's dead too so who's teaching him is he just communing uh I, again i i chalk that up to the decision to ah, we're gonna get out of the spirit stuff and, and just go with the action film well you know that kind of undercuts the importance of what being a jedi is to me at least well the uh the defense i might put on that is uh we don't technically we don't know exactly how much time passed in all of empire strikes back so i li- like to think maybe luke was with yoda a lot longer than it seemed and that's where he learned how to force choke and 
how to, you know, do all this amazing stuff with the force because he does yeah he's like a lot better than he was in the last movie like now you know in this movie he kicks darth vader's ass with a lightsaber and in the last movie he got his ass kicked uh despite you know so i so yeah it, that does stand out is how like he how did he improve so much in what between empire and jedi was probably not even a month because lando and chewie off to Tatooine at the very end of the movie, so yeah, it that, might not even be a week later. Yeah, I think they're, I think we're supposed to believe that it's been a year or something like that. Like all all told together, it took them a year to get the whole plan together or something. But that's what we're looking at. But yeah, that's not a lot of time. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's 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 a conceit you have to give it, and you know, if if you don't, then you're starting to pick against it. And I'm certainly not giving up on the film at this point. It's just one of those things. Watching it now with a critical eye, I have to ask because. It is a hole. It is a problem because it's we're just supposed to accept that. But I guess, you know, the third film into a series, there's things you just start to accept. I mean, the shark can follow people. Yes. You know, I mean, it's just Jason. You can't really kill him. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. So, you know, you just you go with certain certain things Uh, unless you're watching Game of Thrones, which they'll throw it on your head and make you eat it and like it. (laughs) But uh, another podcast for another day. So Yoda's dead. Luke has a sister. And now we get to hear what the Rebellion's plan is. And it's basically the same plan as last time, just a little more drawn out. Well, okay, we all know that they're on the far spoon of Endor. So we're going to, we're going to put a strike team there to blow up the shield generator. And then we're going to have the, you know, the whole fleet is going to light force over there and uh, warp speed there. And uh, we're going to fly into the trench with uh, the Millennium Falcon. And uh, this time Lando's going to fly that route. And uh, we're going to blow the Death Star up uh, again that way. Any questions? I mean, that's that's kind of how it goes down, right? And I love how in the middle of the meeting, Luke just runs in like, yeah, sure, I'm here. And they're like, well, that, that's it. <laughs> so, you know, Admiral Ackbar's like, hey, take a seat. We just got started. So, um, no, that the meeting's over. Luke's here. First things first, what did you make of the fact that the decision is made, okay, Han Solo's leading the ground attack and he's got a strike team, and of course he gets Leia and Chewie and Luke to go along with him on it, and uh, and for some reason the droids, and um, <laughs> yeah, and then Lando Calrissian gets to fly the Millennium Falcon. Why why does Lando get to fly the Millennium Falcon now? Yeah, that stood out. Is uh, we don't get to see we don't get to see a practical thing uh, at all of the uh of the millennium falcon we get to see the inside of the cockpit and a matte painting and in, in the effects mm-hmm. but like in in empire and new hope we saw the we saw literally the entire ship uh as a set and to, and yeah han solo like he han solo we never get to see han solo with inside the falcon at all it doesn't get the flight at all and i thought it it would require us a, a little you know well, more of the endless tweaking this movie needs but i would have actually i would have absolutely had han and chewie be in the millennium falcon well, it's implied when they're leaving Tatooine that he's flying it because he's talking to Luke over the radio. But you know, for all we know, Lando's flying because he's still half blind or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you're right. We never see him in that cockpit again. I think is what you, you know. That's the iconic thing you're used to seeing him in the in the cockpit in A New Hope and Yahoo and all that stuff. Hmm. And this time he's going to be on the far moon of Endor. You know, I'm like, why? Why does the smuggler get to lead the military insurrection? I yeah. I don't know. I, that didn't really that didn't work for me. 
Yeah. Also, and yeah, you definitely it definitely is needs to be pointed out. Like R two D two is handy. He'll <laughs> he'll hack into any terminal. Like he's he's necessary for any particular mission. Yeah. Why they thought they needed C three PO? That it's hundred percent just to get the character in the story. But it's like uh, for military purposes, guys, we do not need a very slow moving uh, <laughs> translator. Yeah. Uh, for this military operation, we got to blow up a shield generator. Like he has, he serves no purpose, you know, uh, plot wise, uh, yeah. in that respect. Well, neither, neither does R2. Okay. Look, you can, t- you know, you telling me they ain't got like handheld iPad type gear that they can hack into a door <laughs> with or something like that. Come on. I mean, really like th- they're only there because we got to have them in the story. We, we just shove yeah. them in there somewhere. They don't really belong anywhere else. So we'll just stick them on the forest moon of indoor because, yeah, you know, when I go camping, Kurt, I take my computer with me. So, I mean, because it, it totally makes sense. So, I, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's again, it's another one of those. I have to give this film this because I want to see these characters do stuff, but it's not places they, they it makes any sense to have them. Like, it, it would it would be different if they served more than the functions that they're given to serve. But we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I don't know. I, I'm... You know, we're, we're repeating the first movie again here. This whole idea we're going to attack the Death Star pretty well the same way we attacked the last time because you know, it kind of worked. So yeah. you know why? Why reinvent the wheel? And uh, the 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 new element is we're going to uh, have the whole fleet there at the same time. That's the other side. Now, flashback to the Emperor who basically tells Vader, "Your work's done. You can get out of here, but I want you to take the whole fleet and put them on the other side of the planet so they're hiding. So I can I can just hide them because he knows they're coming. He just tells them straight up, I'm bringing the rebel fleet to us because they're going to come right into our trap and then it's going to be on. And I'm like, well, now that's actually a pretty good plan. I'm like, he has at least enough uh, forbearing knowledge to realize that, well, these idiots are going to come at us the same way they did last time. So why don't we just go ahead and uh, plan to uh, kill them all when they come around the other side of the moon? Oh yeah. Like, uh, the the emperor like you know he he knew what happened he knew what happened wrong the last time and he thought there's only one way to bring this thing down is that exact same way and he does he thinks ahead like it's a, it is a good strategy you know that have the entire the entire fleet although i hope that's not the entire fleet cuz that's a thing about these star wars films as a whole that i have a problem with is that looking back if you made those movies today the idea of like an enti- the the em- I, I like to think the empire would have about fifty thousand of these star destroyers, not tw- right. you know twelve. Like a, like an Empire Strikes Back, you make the movie today, you'd have five hundred walkers, not three. That kind of like that scale issue of like you know the like I that that's a a slight problem I have with 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 the Star Wars as a whole is like that's the entire fleet is you know there's like twenty star destroyers like that you took over the galaxy with twenty. <laughs> Like that's one of the, that's one of the few improvements that the prequels have is the the numbers in these battles is improve is 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 multiplied by a thousand how many people are involved. Uh, well, you said in a minute ago, and it's because you said in relation to character motion, but I think this also shows that it makes this feel much smaller than it really is. This is supposed to be galaxy wide. You know, like at this point, even in the 80s, we had a good concept of what had happened in World War Two and the American Navy and the the Allied Navy versus the German Navy and the Japanese Navy. We had seen large scale battle in that regard, you know, and to boil it all down to like, a you know, a dozen ships and 20 fighters versus each other really makes it seem a lot smaller than it is. I get the idea that if we kill the emperor 
will kill the whole empire because you cut the head off the snake, the snake's dead. Yeah, that that yeah. actually makes sense. I'm I'm fine with that conceit. But the idea that the whole fleet versus the whole other fleet, I'm like, well, how you know how did the rebels get all this fleet? Didn't that just stolen empire stuff? At some point, I mean, we don't really know any of that. That's the thing is none of that's ever explained to us. And I, I, you know, I don't need more exposition in my, in my, uh, uh, Star Wars film, but I need something else to at least let the stakes be known, you know, other than this is our one and only shot. You know, again, it's last time it was because, well, they found our base and they're going to circle this planet and blow us out of the, you know, out of the universe. This time it's, well, we're going to sneak up on them before they get that thing operational. We're going to blow it up before it ever gets started. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I find that to be interesting. But I like the Emperor's plan. I mean, it makes as much sense as anything else. And so we go off into our different areas here. And we, you know, there's there's a conversation that goes down between. Uh, well, they they got to get on the they get on the planet first. All right. And how do how do you make that we're we're gonna get the last of the new characters really introduced to us, known as the Ewoks, but never referred to that in the film. I think that's a testament to how much they have invaded popular culture that they are known because people had the action figures, <laughs> not because anybody ever says that word in this film. It's never uttered in the entire screenplay, which is, is interesting. Um, we meet then, the little furry bears, the care bears, if you will, of the star Wars universe. We do. Of course, I got to mention before the Ewoks show up, we have what is a genuinely impressive action scene with that speeder bike chase. Oh yeah, that, the, all the the camera work of running through the redwood forest and like they did that on like bicycles and stuff. That yeah. is genius. That is a great, great camera work. Absolutely. Speed. The speed is insane on that. And it holds, still holds up. Luke with the lightsaber deflecting the blade and cutting the, the front of the bike off and spins off and uh, amazing action scene. And then then we get these Ewoks. Now I go back and forth all the time on how I feel about the Ewoks. And uh, I, I've reached a point now where the, cre- the, the, the this race of Ewoks in, in and of themselves, I love them. I think they're great. They're 100% made for, for, for kids and, you know, for people to go, aw. And I, but I, I do love them. Like, I, I've always been a fan of teddy bears, you know, always. And I just, I just think I love these Ewoks. How efficient they are at war is something that uh, I have a problem with. But... <laughs> Uh, I love this Ewoks as a race. A great design on them, and they look—they look, you know, they're—they look cute. They're adorable. And Wicket T. W- Wicket W. Worrell is a, a <laughs> decent character. Uh, although they really screwed up with the Blu-ray by digitally putting in eyes on Wicket yeah. to make him blink. And not only like if it looked normal, it would be fine. But it looks like CG, and it makes him look a little bit creepy like he looked better when he was just that's the thing that's the other thing is comes back to when i was talking about in you know in the new hope the special edition of uh all these crazy you know uh stuff they threw in like you know like here's a do back that roars well of course every shot of wicket with the digital eyes he has to blink in every single shot yes uh like that like that that kind of thing bugs me it's like well does he have to blink just because he had digital eyes does he have to blink Every single time we see the eyes, like that's stupid. But again, the Ewoks, Scott Gibbons, oh boy, he loves those Ewoks. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, I, I uh, know, of course, Warwick Davis, who was one of the Ewoks, because I've seen the other things he's famous for, all of the Leprechaun movies. 
I've reviewed every one of those. So if you're curious as to what I think of those, go head over to the archive section of the website and listen to that. But, uh, you know, I I remember he came out of this. I think Kenny Baker even got to play one. So it's like, well, I guess his his contract was like, I'm getting out of the trash can. Sometime you got to let me out of the can. Fine, you have to play a bear. Well, whatever. So, um, you know, what about the idea that in the original idea of the script, uh, when Gary Kurtz was still involved in all this, and he's not involved in really the, any of the finished product here, this was going to be the planet of the Wookiees. It was going to be a bunch of Wookiees taking on the Stormtroopers. Couldn't, that couldn't possibly have been a better idea on yeah. so many levels. One, to see more Wookiees. Yes. And two, this is one of the things that Sith nailed. It's one of the best parts of that movie is that the the, the planet of Kashyyyk and the way the Wookiees operate and how they go about combat mm-hmm. is – Fantastic, and I bought them as a race that could take on the empire. As the um, uh, take on the empire. Think about it; it's a race of Sasquatches. You know, yeah. that's a formidable opponent against the military. You know, you, you talked about the military prowess of the Ewoks. I'm going to be honest with you; I don't have any problem with the way that they fight. I have a problem with the way that the stormtroopers are absolutely awful <laughs> at everything. <laughs> like these people suck at everything. I was like, this is the and what we'll learn in the prequels. These are clones. I'm like, you need a refund on the clone job. That was a crappy set of them that came out. That was the, the third or fifth generation, whatever it would have been at this point, 20 years after all that, because this. They're awful. Like they, one, they can't hit anything. Again, which we've talked about, it's maybe a problem with the visors, you know. <laughs> but even if beyond that, they don't seem to be able to function at all outside. Those uniforms are not built for that. Like the guys that are wearing the all black, that are just like the I don't know the ground crew team or whatever. They're more useful than any of the stormtroopers. I don't. It's not a problem that the Ewoks beat them with sticks and stones. It's the fact that the stormtroopers suck. Let's just call yeah. them. They're horrible. Yeah, that that's about it. I mean, yeah, the Ewoks, as Scott Skibbons likes to point out, they got the heart, power of positive thinking. We're going to beat the Empire. And they have all these elaborate traps, which make no sense at all. The one with the two logs swinging in that crushed the walker. How the hell do you plan that? It's like... How- I don't know. You know what, though? I saw that done in a Saw movie years later, and they hit, like, uh, Donnie Wahlberg with it, and it was still the same effect. It was pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah so, I've but seen yeah, that done, so... Oh yeah, but th- that you definitely point out the problem isn't that the Ewoks are so good; is that the 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 Empire is so incompetent. Like that's one of my favorite parts about Empire is how badass the Empire is. They have that you know that Nazi efficiency. They de- you know they defeat their enemies, and how the Empire is not able to defeat a bunch of three foot teddy bears is is I I can't believe it. Like, and uh, the Ewok thing, uh, the easiest solution to me is have both have Ewoks be Wookie children. And have both races be in the movie, and have the you know the little Ewoks using their stones, and have the Wookies using their bowcasters and and their you know uh, dragonfly you know uh, 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 jet things and so on. But oh, I want to tell you why that didn't happen. That would have cost money. Like more yes, than they were putting into that. Look, they spent the same amount on this as they spent on the last movie, and they were like, "No, nah, we ain't spending no more." And George is like, "George is cutting the checks here." He's like, "No, nah, no, nah, we ain't spending money on that." Like they, you know, they they don't want to spend any of the real dough on it. Like I, that's the honest truth. Like I, and you can feel it too. Like especially the second act of this film, I'm like. Jeez, this is like we have crawled to a snail's pace of walking yes. around in the woods. And it's not I'm not having any fun anymore. I'm actually having more fun picking at it and laughing at it. And that's not the purpose of the film at all. Like I'm like, I'm certain that's not what I'm supposed to be doing right here, but that's certainly what I am doing. Yeah, that, that the second act where Han, Luke, and Chewie 
allow themselves to be captured and tied up to these by by these Ewoks. I'm just like, mm-hmm. like this is like Han Solo. The, again, Han Solo would not allow that to happen. He's like, okay, I'll walk with you, but you're not tying me to anything. Right. And Luke wouldn't allow it either. And like, well, and Luke, Luke levitates C-3PO around because this is the only reason they brought him to the planet is so that the Ewoks can worship him. And so that he, I like. So he can retell in Ewokese the story of the first and second film to the Ewoks. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's his whole purpose of being there. That yeah, C three pills role with the Ewoks is one thing that that I like. The fact that the Ewoks worship him because he happens to be gold colored plated. That they think he's some kind of golden idol god deity, and they <laughs> literally. I just love the second they see him, they all just start you know uh, chanting and bowing at him. That I love, uh, and uh, and yeah, that C three pills role is just the he's the Ewok god, and man, I hope that they that'd be nice if they carried on with that in episode seven that he's still there. <laughs> uh, helping the Ewoks, you know, uh, uh, dominate Endor or whatever. Well, why, why wouldn't he be? He's not. He's not ever going to die. <laughs> I mean, you keep his batteries changed. He's pretty go. well good to go. So that's a great role for three P. I wonder if he he will indeed be that. I guess he's going to be in it, right? Anthony Daniels has come back, so it's, oh, he has to be. Okay. Yeah, he's he's still in it. So we'll we'll see. That's a good good point. But that all that goes on, and we do get a conversation with Luke and Leia, where he basically tells her, "I'm your sister. Don't you know it? Don't you feel it?" And he gets her to do the whole search your feelings bit, and she kind of does it. But the way Carrie Fisher plays it doesn't make me believe that she's really like using the Force to figure that out. Like she's just more like. Yeah, you know, that does kind of makes sense. It also makes the world really small, but it kind of makes sense. That's how she plays it. It's like she knows what we're talking about, too. That really? Oh, OK, I guess so. Yeah, it's it's a, it's, it's kind of an it's it's an awkward dialogue scene like the dial like the dialogue scenes. This is a good time to bring up uh, Mitch, Richard uh, Mark one. Yes. Uh, Irvin Kirshner, the actors loved working with Irvin Kirshner. He's because you know, he's a fantastic director with actors. Mm-hmm. He's a He's a funny guy and, and so on. And he's, he's great to work with. And Lucas hated that Mark, that uh, uh, Kirshner was being the director, was getting the final say. And Lucas wasn't getting his way. So that's probably what Kirshner wasn't asked back. Instead, they got Richard Marquand, who is a good director, but he will do anything Lucas and does anything well, Lucas tells him. And, and you uh, know, and the story is it, Lucas wanted Spielberg to do it and Spielberg wanted to do it but Lucas had quit the director's guild over you know an argument about the credit sequences and you know something else like that and so that that kept Spielberg from doing it but I'm going to tell you right now everybody's like oh imagine how much more awesome it would be I'm like look I love Steven Spielberg I love his movies but he can be as sappy and Americana and as cheesy as anybody else too and he wouldn't have played this any differently it would have gone exactly the same way because he also would have said yeah George that sounds like a good idea I mean, he he was not going to tell him no, and that's that's just the reality of it. Oh yeah, like it'd be it's interesting to think what would Spielberg do differently, like make having made you know Raiders of the Lost Ark that would have been I, his last I think, movie. I think the one thing that, the pace would probably be very much more even than what we get here, but a part of that too is just the script, Kurt. I mean, this, this thing goes between the comically hilarious battle scenes to very dark, tense drama you know in a flash like that's a it's a yeah. problem of just the story it, i don't know who could have fixed that all right it's the same problem temple of doom has going yeah. from absolute goofiness to you know hell yeah so to speak exactly. i have to of course have to mention that the other director that was almost hired before richard mark one was david lynch Ooh, wow. and uh <laughs> i guess that just definitely just didn't happen but man if you know that's the thing if i could like 
you know, wish if a genie asked me, you know, what what's some movies you wish that didn't happen you want to see? It's like David Lynch. What the hell would David Lynch do with the Return of the Jedi? Yeah, and I imagine the only thing that wouldn't change, I think Jabba the Hutt would be the exact same guy mm-hmm. looking at the characters in David Lynch movies, but. That would have been something else. I mean, I wonder if it would have been the weirdo Lynch or if it would have been, you know, 100% the same movie. But that's um, that's a great movie that could have been. Yeah, that's uh, a very that's a very different take. Wow, I can't I don't even, I can't even imagine what that would look like. But yeah, that's uh, that could be a very different world. But no, but back to your point, you're right. The way Marquand is he's it's it's George directing from the producer's chair in a lot yeah. of ways. And you can feel it in these character scenes, not only the Luke and Leia scenes, but just think about the awkward Han Leia scene that happens after this. He's still playing the jealous card, like after all of this crap, like, dude, she came and rescued you and the you know and you know, loves you and kissed you in front of the Java tent. That should no longer be a question. Like you should no longer doubt that this woman is all about you. You know, like that yeah. that seemed false as a character. And again, why would Han Solo give a damn? Yeah, that's that's another thing. Like when Han Solo, you know, when Leia's like, I can't tell you. And Han's like, and he, he walks away, goes, ah, you know, it, it makes, it, it's a great, like, you know, uh, who needs this? That's, and that's great. But then he turns around and says, I'm sorry. And it's like, again, Han Solo wouldn't, wouldn't do that. No. Like, this hibernation sickness is really getting to him in this, <laughs> in the third act of this movie. Can we just retcon and say that that's what's wrong with him in this whole film? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm okay it. with saying that. <laughs> so yeah. that. That's why he's not allowed to fly. So, you know, he's not, I'm surprised they even let him use a gun, you know, <laughs> because he's, he's really not stable. So yeah. this, this entire film. But all of that goes down because Luke tells her he's going to go turn himself in to Vader. Because he, it's his destiny. He's got to face off against Vader. You know that's coming. And be honest, that's what we want, you know? Because when the Emperor is telling Vader, look, you got to go get ready. I want you down on that moon because Vader's coming to, or because Skywalker's coming to you. And I love how Vader says, he's coming to me? Like, what, you, how did you know that? How did you pick up on that? And he tells him straight up, he's like, his compassion for you is what's going to be his undoing. And Vader tells him that too. And I want to say this. I love the scene between the two of them when Luke has turned himself in and Vader dismisses the guards and it's just him and Luke and he takes the and he takes his lightsaber and is playing around with it and they're they're just chatting back and forth there. I, I thought that was some good acting and good stuff going on between the two characters. Yeah, the scenes with Luke, Vader, and eventually with the Emperor, that stuff is fantastic. That's that's some of the better writing in, in this series and in this film, and uh, and yeah, when when that was always a striking moment to me when Vader turns on that lightsaber, mm-hmm. just 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 kind of check it out, and it, it seemed to me that was like very threatening. It's like you know you're handcuffed, and some guy turns on a lightsaber. Uh, that was a great little. That was a great uh, Vader moment, and, and and this is the I think is this movie the first time we hear the name Anakin Skywalker. Uh, no, no, they said it in the first one too, and they said it in the last one as well. So, oh, but wow. I love, I love how he, you know, just that that name means nothing to me. Anymore. Yeah, you know, and he just lays it out. But then there's another, there's another part of this, and this is the strange part. And watching it now and knowing how it all ends, you look at it and you go, wait a minute, you know, because Luke keeps telling him, I know there's something left of you, and you're still good or whatever. And I love how Vader just kind of turns to him and says, it's too late for that. You know, like no, 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 it's too late for me. But you're going to be even more powerful than me. Like you can see this whole proud father thing there, even though he is still evil. 
right? And it's a different take on Vader than we've seen because, I mean, look at the evolution of that character just in these three films. He was this overbearing, murderous force in the first one and in the second one he's you know on a quest and you know when he finally does get in a fight it, i mean he's just he's vicious and then he drops the biggest bomb of all on luke and now in this one you see he's he himself is an apprentice to the master of the emperor right and he's looking at luke with you know half of him is like this is my enemy but it's also my son and i want him to be you know, at my side and, you know, taking over the galaxy with us. And I, I believe, I go back to what he said to Luke on that perch in Empire Strikes Back. Come with me. We'll kill the Emperor and we'll run this thing together. I think it's somewhere deep inside he still feels that way. And what we'll find is that the Emperor's like, go ahead and kill the old man because me and you can be a lot better team than he is. Like that they're both <laughs> sort of cheating on each other with Luke. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's pretty twisted. And that's a twisted relationship you do got there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Vader, he shifts from uh, being, you know, the ultimate badass to a guy who's scared for his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing this because the Emperor uh, is telling him, but you can tell Vader's like, this is not what I want to happen to my son, is for him mm-hmm. to be like me. Because, you know, he's not going to end up in a breathing apparatus like this, but he's going to end up doing the same horrible stuff to people if he ends up, if the, if the Emperor gets a hold of him. Because that's another thing about the Emperor is that he is a great villain in terms of, uh, uh, like, a in terms of uh, this seductive nature to him, you could, like he could talk you into anything. That's yeah. some, that's one of my favorite things about the character. And the idea is that if Vader didn't, you know, step in as he does, Luke would uh, succumb to the dark side because it's just, you know, that's that's that is what the Emperor is. Well, uh, it, he we, is the dark side. Well, and we we, we see how how deep he is. Like as deep as we think Vader is steeped in the dark side, especially you know based on what Obi Wan Kenobi's told us. And you know, then we'll go back for a second here when he and Luke are having their conversation. He says, "Why didn't you tell me? Why did you lie to me and tell me that you know Vader murdered Anakin Skywalker, my father?" And he said, "Well, you know, he turned over to the dark side, Luke, and so from a certain point of view, he did die." And he and he calls him out on that. He's like, "Bullshit! What's a certain yeah. point of view?" <laughs> it's like still the same dude <laughs> it's like what yeah. I, where, and you and also i'm gonna say though part of me hates that because it makes him like an look like this old cynic and i'm like well that's not who that character was i don't think i don't think that's who he was supposed to be i don't know it just felt it felt that way watching it this time i i got kind of got that sense but uh you know i don't know it's it's fun but i like the the surrender scene and what i really love and you've already brought it up is when we get luke in front of the emperor finally and the first thing the emperor does is like guards go away and no we don't need those handcuffs anymore you know, it's like, no, we don't, we're not going to do that, you know, and he just and I love how they go that that back and forth, that battle of wits with each other, where um, Luke says, you know, your overconfidence is going to be under your undoing. And I love how he turns around and says, yeah, well, your faith in your friends is going to be yours. And I was like, that is a great you know, couple of lines just dropping back and forth at each other. And we need to talk about Ian McDermott for a minute yeah. because he'll be a big part of the prequels. But what a performance, what a grand performance in this this film. Just uh, one of the greatest bad guy performances of all time. There's no question. Uh, like I said, a villain who knows he's a villain, having fun being a villain. Mm-hmm. And Ian McDermott, it's one thing. Like Sometimes a villain can be big mm-hmm. and screaming and mad laughing and so on. And, some of the, and the Emperor does some of that. But when Ian McDermott goes quiet in mm-hmm. this movie, it is fantastic. Like when, he's, when Luke's looking out the window and seeing that the space battle is going on. And Luke looks at his lightsaber, and the Emperor's like, "Oh, you, you want this? You want this, don't you?" 
Yeah. And it's like, go ahead, strike me down. Like he, he's just, again, that seductive thing. It's like, you can tell this is how this guy took over the galaxy. He's said this to every single planet he's tried to take that he's diplomatically taken over. It's because that's what this guy's good at. And that's my favorite part of the performance. Whenever he goes, whenever he goes quiet, like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't raise his voice. It's like, you know, so be it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love it. I love his whole, his, the whole bit. He's like, Oh, I'm afraid the Death Star will be quite yeah. operational when your friends arrive. And I'm like, Man, that is just yeah. messed up. But it's so good, but it builds so much tension. And that's why every time we flash away from that to what's going on on the forest moon, I, I have this huge letdown, Kurt. And it really hit me hard this time. I was like, Oh, can we just get back to the Death Star? That's a lot cooler. <laughs> I mean, I was yeah. like, this is this is just silly. Like, I don't I don't know. Mikhail's Navy kind of <laughs> silly going on over here with this, you know, the ineptitude of the, and that's only underlined by the fact that the Emperor's dropping lines like, "I've got my best troops on that moon," and I'm yeah. like, yeah. and if that's the best you got, homie, you need to <laughs> rethink your hiring <laughs> practices because, geez, yeah, like they, they're so inept. Like this is another thing of like they had. I mean, one Ewok gets sort of fried, and you know, I'm sure there were more losses and stuff, but that's not the way any of it plays. Like it. Uh, I don't know. I I just feel like that battle is so there's no tension to it at all. And and everything that's going on on the Death Star is so intense and then they go to that just real lighthearted tone. Oh yeah, and this is another uh I think another fix is here's what you do. You have the sec everything with the Ewoks on the forest moon. That's the second act. Mm-hmm. And then you then you cut to everything that happens with Vader and the Emperor and this battle on the Death Star. Have that be the final act. That's one fix that, that could fix it. Because yeah, every time we cut back to the lame ass Han Solo and and yes. what's going on the Forest Moon, it's like, you know, what's going like like the like the space battle. Mm-hmm. Definitely got to point out the effects on that space battle. I think are the are a series best. Oh, they're the amazing. Yes, those are amazing looking. Yes, like the speed that shot of when like a like a, a swarm. Of Tie Fighters come racing towards the screen as the, as the Falcon tries to evade. That's an amazing shot. I know, and that's All, what, imagine that's a practical shot, Kurt. Yeah. Like that that back in 1983, that was a hell of an effect. And you, see, I mean, look, 30 something years later, it still looks awesome. Oh yeah, the, the the miniature effects, all that stuff, the Oscar-winning special effects, mm-hmm. they still hold up insanely well. And they didn't touch them up, like you know, New Hope, they touched them up with CG. They didn't touch up any of the effects in the mm-hmm. space battle for Jedi, and because I think it's because they flat out said they didn't need to. They were, yeah. They were, I have no complaints with the 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 all of the action, whether it's with Lon, Lando or Wedge or any the X wing stuff. It's all it's all kick ass. Oh, and action wise, probably the strongest of the three. Uh, you know, story triple tiered climax that's going on. Oh, exactly. And look, I, what I love about it is that the rebels are like, okay, we can't fight the Death Star because. One, the shield generator's down, and then it starts shooting at them and blowing up the ships. And I was like, oh, crap. And so I love how they're like, okay, you know what? Here comes the fleet around the other side. Well, the Death Star's not going to fire into its own fleet, so everybody goes straight at the Star Destroyers. I'm like, that's a great tactic because that's a good point because otherwise the Death Star can sit there and pick off every big battleship they've got. So what do you do? Okay, we're going to engage the Star Destroyers because at least we stand a chance against those. We can't fight the turbo laser from the Death Star. And that, I was like, that's a good tactical moment right there. Oh, yeah, that's that's Lando. I mean, that's Lando uh, thinking, dude, that that's a, is a fantastic plan. It's like, 
it would have been nice to see if the if the Empire would fire on their own ships. That would have been a nice bit to see a Death Star get taken out by the by the Death get a Star Destroyer taken out by the Death Star, but that doesn't happen. Yeah, but like I, in a missed shot or something. Yeah, but no, I mean like Admiral Akbar and Lando really really played that well. I mean it's a good move, and it, and I love how they start taking them out. Like those ships are they're actually having a dent and an effect on the Empire ships. That's uh, it's unexpected. Oh yeah, and a, a great moment that to me. As if someone who kind of has, you know, uh, who, who, I love the uh, space being used uh, like that. What I love is when the the A wing crashes through the deck yeah. of the of the uh, the executioner ship, and we that's the first and only time we see something like that happen in this series where a window is broken in space, mm-hmm. and it it completely would kill everyone on the crew. If you did that today, you would have. Uh, people get sucked out into space. That's the right. only thing I would change up. But I love that because that is like, you know, I, I, they, they, you would think maybe that the plexiglass would be a little bit thicker to withstand. <laughs> uh, it's meant to withstand, you know, laser bolts. But you know, because you don't see head-on collisions in this uh, series that much. And to see that, that was an impressive effect. And of course, the thing that just take the entire ship goes right down and crashes into the. Uh, Death Star and the entire thing ignites the second it hits the Death Star, and that was that's a nice effect too. Yeah, and that's the command ship. That's that big one, the Executioner that we talked about last time was like the stand-in for the Death Star. Yeah, that's that one, and I'm like, now that's pretty awesome when you take out that ship. In addition to the big ones you've been taking down, that's pretty cool. And I don't know, I I'm with you. The space battle is is very intense. It's it's the action scene. It's the fun action scene right the stuff on indoor is just it's just dumb and then the stuff going on in the death star is the emotional weight of all of yeah. it and you know one third of that is definitely out of balance with the rest of it mm-hmm. but the other two are working fine and uh, the sad part is that the space battle depends on the crap going on on the ground where yeah. you know we still gotta we still gotta impersonate stormtroopers and we gotta blow the thing and it, all that's going on and it's just it's my least favorite part of this whole film. And I think because what happens next on the Death Star becomes my favorite part, I think it's the strongest part of the film, when Luke finally takes the lightsaber up and Vader stops him, and you're going to get Vader and Luke in round two. And, yeah. they, and they fight again. And I, I love how you know Luke gets the upper hand a couple times and then refuses to destroy his father. He's like, I will not do it. I'm not going to fall into the trap because I know if I give into that hate, I'm going to be just like you, and I'm not going to do it. Luke's so much more in control than you can presume Anakin was when he turned to the dark side, and he's certainly not, you know, anywhere near where the Emperor's dark side was. Oh yeah, yeah. That that whole fight scene, everything about that fight scene is really good and uh, as great character moments, like when uh, Luke puts his saber away, and there's like five seconds of silence, and Vader just says you're unwise to lower your defenses and strikes at him again it's like geez like you keep thinking is vader gonna not hit him because it's his son it's like mm-hmm. no he is he's gonna he's he might kill him and like and that you know di- uh luke's keeps the whole scene he's trying to talk talk you know like like look there's good in you i know there's good in you so like mm-hmm. please let's let's stop this and vader's just like no you're wrong i am it's over mm-hmm. and uh if you don't want to accept that, then uh, I'm going to take you down. And when he and when Vader throws the lightsaber yes. at uh, at the beams, bringing down the platform, that's a great Vader moment. Because another thing, that's another thing we haven't seen mm-hmm. is using a a lightsaber as a projectile. Because if someone throws that at you, you're you're done. Like there's no yeah. defense against someone. Like what are you going to? You can't catch it. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Makes for a great weapon in that way. 
Oh yeah, it's 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 something about that weapon we haven't seen anybody try to do. And you know what you realize is that well, somebody that can command the force not only can wield that weapon, but they can take it and they can throw it and direct it at you. I mean, that's yeah. that's about as deadly as it gets, man. And I, I love that whole bit, and I love him chasing. And, you know, Luke goes and hides in the shadows, and it gets another one of those great foreshadowing moments where half of his face is lit and the other half's not, you know. And and Vader's tempting him and trying to get him to come out of the dark and all this stuff. And I love what finally sends Luke overboard. Hmm. It's like, he, you know, he's searching Luke's mind is what he's doing. And Luke's feelings betray him there. He's like, huh, sister, yeah, that's it. If you're not going to turn, maybe she will. And I love how he comes out of the shadows screaming and just wailing with that lightsaber at the end of that. Oh, yeah. That, that, that to me, that's a powerful moment in, on a lot of different levels. For one thing, the, the, the shot, literally, like that blue, dark blue shot, that's the best looking shot in the movie, in my opinion. Raider looking for Luke. And yeah, that's so twisted. That's, that goes back to the Vader from Empires when he's like, oh, it's like, well, you know, you might be able to put up you might be able to resist us but she's not we're going to put her through all this stuff and that ex- it does exactly what maybe vader was going for is that just like that's one thing luke never considered is like well mm-hmm. what happens if vader goes after her and the emperor goes after her she's probably she might not uh, be able to resist and that terrifies him he never yeah, thought she's had, she's had no training at all you know yeah. and so he's at least had some and yeah. so he, you know, there's no way she would be able to withstand him. It's at least what he thinks. And moreover, he's not going to let that happen. You know, yeah. that's his and, whole yeah, and reason Luke, for coming here. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole movie, Luke's been like, I'm not going to kill my, he's my dad. Why, mm-hmm. why would I, I, there's no, there's nothing that could possibly happen that would make me want to kill him. And when Vader says that, perhaps she will, that makes him want to kill him. And he strikes at him. He's like, he's not, you know, this isn't like a. A duel. He's trying to. He's, he's aiming to cut his head off. He's he, oh, and it's yeah. great bit of great bit of rage acting by Hamill. You really does look like he's he's trying to kill this guy. That shot where he's just like mm-hmm. where Vader's like let you on his knee. Mm-hmm. He's holding under the railing, trying to fight back, and Luke is just hammering at him like he's like he's chopping down a like a tree. Yeah, and it's like oh man, and then he finally gets him. And he beats Vader, he gets him, and and chops his hand off. That's that was always like whoa, oh, man. Know. And, and, and I love, I love how, and it's in the original version. James Earl Jones lets out a, a groan when that happens, and I'm like, that's a mechanical arm. And what I realize he's groaning from is the fact that, well, that suit allows him to breathe. I imagine it doesn't allow him to go into rage fight modes like yeah. that, because that's not how Vader fights either. You know, when Vader really wanted to turn up the heat last time, he dropped the lightsaber and started using the Force to just throw shit at Luke. You know, yeah. and and Luke just comes at him like like Conan. And I mean, hmm. just swinging. And I, I love it too. I love the intensity. I agree with you. That's a, some of the best action acting Hamill's done. Probably the best he's done in the entire series. And he's, you totally buy that performance that he is completely enraged and off of his rocker at that moment. And he cuts the hand off and he looks down and he sees his own hand, which he's got a glove on now because he got it shot on Jabba's cell bar. So it's got a big hole in it now. And he looks at his hand and he makes that fist and he's like, I know. He comes to his senses and sneaking up behind him is old evil emperor there. Just like, yes, perfect, perfect. Yeah. And I'm like, man, talk about just a dark place. This thing just went. And uh, not what I was, uh, not what I was expecting. Just uh, a great scene. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, the emperor. Again, this, you know, this, the Vader is his number one guy. He just got his ass kicked and it couldn't have possibly made the emperor any happier. 
Mm-hmm. Just the way he, the way he's he just like so gleeful, just like yes, good. This is like exactly like he's like, and he's also like you're with every pat, like he says earlier, with every passing moment, you're making yourself more my servant. Like he's like telling you, mm-hmm. you're gonna hate this, but you're gonna do it. Like exactly. this is like I've predicted all this. You can't can't stop it. I'm gonna win. You're gonna hate it, and I'm gonna love it. It's like again, I just a, a great villain who just like yeah, that, that, like a character who likes what he's doing and can be 100% certain because he can see into the future. That's another great character trait. Exactly, yeah, because he, he can foresee that this is every move that Luke makes, he's playing into their hands, even though it seems like Luke's doing you know what what we want him to do, take out Vader, but it, that he can't do that. He can't allow that to happen because if he does, it's going to turn him totally over to the dark side. And so I, you know, I love the, the, the fact that, <clears throat> you know, we get that going and then we do cut away from it and it, we cut back to the moon of Endor. We need to talk about what happens there because <laughs> the Ewoks intervene and help the rebels get the jump on, uh, on the, uh, empire forces and Chewie and a couple of, uh, Ewoks hijack, uh, the smaller ATST, I think is what that's yeah, called. That's and, yeah. And they come in and they come into the rescue and they're setting up the bombs and they blow up the little shield generator. So we've now completed the, uh, the circle for what is going down on indoor, but in the midst of it, we have a Han and Leia moment that I absolutely hate. And I just wanted to say it right now. They replay the, I love you. I know, Thing, and they reverse it this time and i'm 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 fine if han solo finally wants to tell her when she's pulling the gun out like when you move out of the way i'm going to shoot the guy that's behind you and he goes i love you i hated that she had to look and be the smart ass and go i know and i'm like no 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 no. leia would never say something like that that is just that is that whole uh callback just doesn't work for me never did and and i don't think ever will yeah that moment uh i yeah i don't think i like that moment particularly because I, I don't like Han Solo saying the words I love you. That's yeah. the whole point of that great moment is he would never say I love you too. He says, yeah, I know. Yeah. But I do like in the very beginning when Leia, Leia frees Han in the carbonate, like who are you? Takes off his helmet. Someone who loves you. Mm-hmm. That I think is okay. But yeah, that moment at the end, uh, uh, it's what happens is great that, you know, that he uses it as a ploy she, to uh, shoot that guy. But, uh, yeah, it's not the best. Again, it's just like just Han Solo saying "I love you." It's like doesn't compute. He wouldn't do it. Mm-mm. Just not the kind of thing he would do. But they finally blow up the shield generator, so yay! So now the attack on the Death Star can commence, right? And that, and that's fine because I'm I'm the space battle's still cool, and I'm I like how we're gonna fly through the superstructure now. That's different than the trench run. That's a different look, and I like the way that looks. They did a good job building those miniatures and that model. And you know, I my dad, I've said before you, I grew up. My dad worked in power plants my whole life, and I've got I've seen the inside of several kinds of power plants, and that's kind of what they look like. <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot of pipes and girders and stuff running around everywhere. And every time I walk through one, I sort of replay the scene in my head, you know, because it's hard not to. Oh yeah, yeah. The inside of the trench, I like how small it is. Like yeah. it's like you're in in your works. Like it's not meant for ships are not meant to fly through here. It's just enough for the Falcon to get through, mm-hmm. and. uh I think I'll just point out that I think Billy D. Williams' performance is very good in this movie. I have no problems with him in in this movie with Lando's role in this movie at all. He gets to do the stuff that Han should be doing. Yeah, and I love him being the co-pilot. I think I love his uh, his acting is fantastic. When he finds out the shield generator's been hit, and he's like, "I told you they would do it!" Like, mm-hmm. like he, I buy his his uh, enthusiasm and so on. And when the uh, when they're flying through and the the shield or the radar gets knocked off, he's like, "That was too close." And uh, 
and so on. But yeah, I love Lando in this movie. And yeah, that all that the claustrophobic, not claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah, it would be because it's just so tiny that the, the Tie Fighters, the Empire mm-hmm. ship, are getting they're taking themselves out, knocking into the walls and stuff. And uh, then we get into that massive the shield generator room, which um, um, um impressive effect. Yes, uh, but. From a design point of view, that room is really friggin' big. Wouldn't it like really? Wouldn't it just be another tiny corridor or something? Because that's like that. That room looks bigger than anything in the, the rest of the movie. How how big the shield generator room is, and there's no guns in there. Yeah, uh, I would only say that the the reason that the reactor room is that big is the amount of power. Even in the the world where they're using hypermatter here or whatever, yeah. the amount of power you'd have to have to be able to just to run the Death Star, much less to be able to fire that laser or whatever, would have to be enormous, and it would give off a tremendous amount of heat or or energy or negative energy. If some way, you'd have to have something. Uh, large enough to be able to contain that. So I'm okay with the fact that the reactor is a large thing in the center of the of the Earth thing or whatever there. That's that's fine for me. I actually thought that was cool. It's really more of a plot device to be able to fly the Millennium Falcon in and out of there because otherwise yeah. the, the X-Wing is the thing that needs to go in there and do that. Or really the A-Wing. You know, it's the only ship really suited. I know, that's what I noticed. None of the A-Wings were allowed to fly inside but I'm like, the X-Wing's the most, you know, the least suitable ship to do this yeah. job. It's got the long wingspan like that's a bad idea. So yeah. I don't I don't know, but that's kind of cool. But again, the thing I'm I'm wanted to get back to is what's going on inside the Death Star in the throne room because it's Luke's final moment. He's either going to turn to the dark side or the light side, and I love what he does. He turns off the lightsaber, flings it into the nothing, and says, "Nope, I'm not joining you. Never. I'm a Jedi just like my father." And I love how he turns and points to Vader, who's beaten on the floor. And trying to get himself, you know, gathered together. And he says, I'm a Jedi just like my father. That I will not turn over to you. And then the Emperor unleashes a force power that... I don't know that there's a cooler one out there, Kurt. Force lightning coming out of his hands. That is the ultimate in Jedi power. Yeah, that was... And uh, yeah, even, like, there's no hint that that's coming. Like, we've seen yeah. the Emperor, he takes off the handcuffs. But, like, that tells you... There's so that just that just, to me that opened the doors a little bit more of this. There's so much more the force can do, mm-hmm. and yet like lightning coming into the fingertips, like that was like Jesus. And also like again saying, again this is how the emperor became the most powerful man in the universe because all the stuff he can command. And he can literally incinerate you with his bare hands. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, it would have been one thing if he grabbed a lightsaber and they started getting in another fight. But I'm like how it's it's a power Luke can't do anything about. Like, he has no counter to it at all. And he's just he just has to take it. And, it, oh, what a vicious beatdown that goes on with that. Oh, yeah. it's And, man, like, uh, that's a pain. That's a, like, genuinely painful scene that's like a yeah in terms of like electrocution scenes in movies oh. mark hamill looks like he's dying in that scene uh mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's everything about it is being played so well the way the emperor is just you know you're, you're paying the price for your lack of vigil mm-hmm. and and all it's like oh god and uh and vader that that to me is the real powerful part is the way like he's he just about killed his dad, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Father, please!" Like yeah, you're standing he, yeah, right there. Yeah, Hamill is begging him, and what a great performance there! And I, give it up to David Prowse, who doesn't get any lines at all. It's all in the way he moves and the way he looks back and forth and back and forth as yeah. he's watching the Emperor take out his son, and he and he keeps listening to the Emperor going, 
and now you will die. You know, another one of those quiet moments. Then he just unleashes it on him again. And we, you know, we cut away to the space battle for a minute. But Vader is watching this and you can see it, even though the eyes are totally black. Yeah. You see what's going on, the conflict on that mask. It, uh, it's a great piece of acting and camera work to convince oh, yeah. me the emotion that character is going through and not once show me his face. Yeah, and uh, that moment when he finally does. Yeah, I, how about up. that? I mean, what a, grabs the Emperor and takes the Force lightning in the face and all yeah. over himself and throws him down the shaft <laughs> until he blows up into just nothing. Wow, yeah. what a okay. what a heavy moment. Absolutely, and uh, it's it absolutely is so powerful that uh, you know he just he sees us like he's like there's no thought that goes into it. It's like this guy's killing my son. Screw that. And they and the Blu-ray, goddamn Lucas. <laughs> the what, nose, what, the nose. And thank God that's not on the DVD that I have. I oh I know what you're talking about. It's like I was watching it last night. I was like, oh man, I should have like hit mute or something because <laughs> it, it does. It kind of kills the moment because it's way better that Mm -hmm. it makes sound like vader is crying under the mask Mm -hmm. or something but to me it's way better that luke if he like like yelled or something he was like you know ah or whatever but it's way better if he says nothing he just goes over like there's nothing to it i'm gonna pick you up i'm gonna throw you down this uh this pit i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i should have done years ago (laughs) and i'm gonna i'm gonna rid us both of this but in the process of it it never hit me until you know, watching it a few years ago, I finally realized what happens to him there. When he gets hit with that force lightning, his entire body is survival is dependent upon the electronics in that suit working. And he basically short circuits himself. That, I mean, I was, I've always wondered, I'm like, how did Darth Vader die from all that crap? You know? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. He just short circuited his whole life support system. Like, he sacrificed himself for his son. That's the ultimate in turnaround, is that 10 minutes ago, he was trying to kill him. And now he's he's turned he's turned back to the light and what a and, and that moment where he just kind of collapses in Luke's arms and you just hear the rasp breathing you know and you can tell he's dying and you know that that moment that father and son have together. Speaking to that, like the film as a whole, like I love like the first act of this movie with, with the Java stuff I love. Mm-hmm. The second act kind of you know speeder bike chase aside the second act is very questionable but like literally the bookends of this movie the first bit and the last let's say 20 minutes mm-hmm. ewok stuff maybe aside but the last 20 minutes are very very strong it's like this is the star wars that i remember and yeah that like everything with vader and uh like yeah vader becomes a, a new a, a whole new kind of character where mm-hmm. we see vader as a hero and uh that where he picks up the emperor to me that's something that the prequels make even better, in my opinion, because now we have all this horror, all this stuff that's happened between Vader and the Emperor, and you could all I, like when I watch that scene, I see all that stuff flashing through yeah. my head of all this. I did all this horrible shit for the Emperor, and he's really done nothing for me, and now he's taking away the only thing I have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's 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 got to go, and uh, yeah. absolutely, it's a powerful moment. The, the music too, that oh, shot of yes. Like the, like the harp strings, like ding, like the, of the Vader theme too. Yeah, and it's ding, but it's a sad ding. version of the Vader theme. It's like that's what it would sound like as a funeral dirge. And I'm like, yeah. well, what a great idea. I mean, John Williams, he's he's something, man, and uh, he knows how to how to build tension with that music and and how to play the emotions of the scene. And all this is going down, Luke's, you know, that goes on, and of course our heroes reach the room and they sh- blow up the generator, and then they got to hightail it out of the Death Star, right? 
because it's yeah. going down at this point. You know, and they, it's only going to be a, a matter of moments. And that's the thing that, that I got about this one that was a little different. I'm like, last time they shot a torpedo through a port that started a chain reaction that within 12 seconds blew the Death Star up. <laughs> this takes like a few minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they've improved a few things on this one, obviously, yeah. because it takes longer for it to self-destruct. <laughs> <laughs> Like when you yeah. blow the reactor out of something, well, Kirk, if you were to walk into the generator room of a nuclear submarine and blow the reactor, it wouldn't be long. Yeah. <laughs> I would tell you now, it would be very quick before the ship crumpled and sank to the bottom of the sea like a tin can. I mean, that's just—I don't know. I—that's. I guess it's another one of those things you got to give the movie, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. It I, is a Star Wars movie. It is a Star Wars movie. I guess we got—we got to give it that. But they, you know, they're all flying out, and I love how Luke is trying to get Vader back and get him off of the thing before it blows up, while you know all hell is breaking loose around them. Right? Like nobody. I love how nobody walking by notices. Hey, Darth Vader That's, looks pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, know? that always stood out. It's like you know, isn't that our boss? Why is our boss? Uh, Why is the prisoner walking with our boss to the, well, whatever, I'm getting the office thing. So I'm just the the guy installing the toilet main. The Rebel Alliance is doing a very bad job of arresting Vader and trying to keep it a secret. (laughs) Exactly. Like that's, there doesn't seem to be anybody fighting for him. And where's the emperor? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got to give it that. But a great poignant moment when Vader says, you know, I'm dead. There's nothing you can do about that. Take this thing off so I can look at you with my real eyes at least once. And I, I want to say this, and this is nothing against Sebastian Shaw, who I don't know from anything and only know him from this and this one moment. But I always wondered, why didn't they let the, the guy that had been Vader all this time do that? Because this doesn't – like the pudgy face, that doesn't look like the thing that has been terrorizing the galaxy for three movies to me. Like David Prowse is – I mean he's a pretty intense looking dude. Anyway, because he's you know his jaws real square and cut, and he's a bodybuilder, you know. Why not you know put a little makeup on him and let him be that face there? Yeah, I never, that never, that never occurred to me. That would have been a great moment, and it would have been you know would have been great tribute to David Prowse. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the guy we've been looking at this whole time, and that it's a totally different actor underneath. <laughs> maybe it's just because I, I get the impression maybe David Prowse is just his voice just would not hack it. Well, because, yeah, you, yeah, that, was, that voice yeah. would not have worked. You're right. Yeah, that that is true. That they would have had to ADR that and it would have been, it would have looked really hard to do. I'm sure. I, well, I guess we should just be thankful that Lucas didn't CGI Hayden Christensen into this. Oh. By the time it's all said and done. So, but that's, well, we're going to have that discussion yeah, abs- in a few minutes. So. We will. But yeah. absolutely a powerful moment. Like Vader is like that. that, that yeah. You like, that's all there is to it. Vader's like, I'm going to die. But before I die, I want to, I never saw you without this helmet. And I and I love I love his last lines are like you were right, Luke. Tell your sister you were right, you know. And then he just slumps over and that's it. He's gone. And I'm like, Darth Vader's dead. And I remember being a kid in the theater and watching that happen. And I mean, Darth Vader's the bad guy. And I'm like in tears because I'm like, Darth Vader's really dead. Like I I just I don't know. It just really hit me. And even watching it this time, it hit me. I can't believe Darth Vader's dead. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it is absolutely powerful because it's like he's been the driving, he's been one of the driving forces of this entire series, and like now he's not there anymore. Yeah, like, now what? You know? Yeah, exactly. And now what is Luke gets him off of there just in time, and the you know they all get away, and boom, there goes the Death Star once again. And I'm like, well, so long for that construction project. You know that yeah that that's over. But I, I I'll say this. I like how, you know, there's a big celebration down on the planet and everybody's celebrating in the rebel fleet and all this stuff. My question to you is what happens to the rest of the empire's fleet? 
you know, well, they're, presumably they're not all dead. And that's been a big point of contention with me is that the, they really are celebrating as though the, the, the Nazis have been defeated. It's like, well, uh, you know, Hitler killing himself didn't bring an end to World War II. Right. Like it's like you killed off the big guy, you killed off the Death Star, took out a lot of the Star Destroyers, but there's an entire galaxy out there still. Like I'm I'm guessing Coruscant is nothing but uh stormtroopers. But well, you know what place. though? Not according to the special edition here, because who's yeah. celebrating but friggin' Coruscant? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like because then it just makes the, the storm it just makes the Empire look that much weaker. It's like, you know, the that the Ewoks really did take out the mo- the best, the SS yeah. of the of the of the empire it's like no like basically like i've seen plenty of uh of extended universe stuff video games books here and there where it's like no, the empire is still very much not in full swing but like the imperial remnant like they're still out there there's mm-hmm. still plenty of star destroyers and plenty of commanders that are still all about it's like well no we're still in charge like the rebel alliance is still uh a re- the rebellion is not over uh so to speak but in this movie really kind of makes it look like no that's all they needed to do like War, the war is over. And it's like, I have my same problem with Matrix uh, Revolutions. It's like the mm-hmm. second the, the machines leave the city, that idiot kid thinks the war is over. It's like, well, how do you know they're not coming back again? Yeah. And uh, hopefully that's what Episode 7 will get into. Is like, I'm I'm hoping we see some more stormtroopers and so on. Because like, like, there's no way that... Because this tiny ragtag rebellion, they got like 20 ships. That's all they got. Yeah. And taking out the Emperor wouldn't have... Uh, have done it. So as far as I'm concerned, the em- the empire is not gone, but the emperor being killed is probably that is worthy of celebration, so to speak. Yeah, it it does seem a little strange that we're celebrating, but yet there's still a lot of bad guys still running around. Yeah, like I don't I don't know. I just I found that I find that I even found that to be weird back way back when, and I think it's weird now too. But um, it's how it goes, and that's I mean that's really it. I mean we get the the celebration is going to go on on indoor, but we do get one last poignant moment, and and I do like this moment where Luke burns Darth Vader, you know, in the old the the uh, the funeral pyre. You know, just the, I, I don't know, just a, it's a powerful moment to watch him stand on that hill and watch his father's body burn, you know, because yes. that's, that's the one thing when Jedi's have died in this series, what have they done? They disappear, but Vader didn't disappear when he died in Luke's arms. He was definitely still a part of that suit. So we don't know what, you know, happens to his soul. We don't know any of that at this moment. And we see that Luke is paying, you know, final tribute to his father as, is the custom of his people. This is what they do, you know, and I don't know. I just, I find that moment still to be another one of those tear rendering moments. It's absolutely powerful and is right up, right up there with like top moments of the entire series is mm-hmm. the music too. Like we get that, we get that binary sunset music that we got in a new hope and Luke's looking out in the sunset, that exact same music playing as uh, he stands and burns Vader's body. It's so powerful. And yeah. Like this has been a villain and yet we couldn't, possibly have more like respect for this character like one of the most like despite being the evil guy he's the most maybe the most beloved character in this series when all is said and done Mm -hmm. and he gets the send-off that he deserves and it's uh, always doesn't i always do get a little bit choked up that you know there's only one person who would have a funeral for that thinks darth vader deserves a funeral and that's his uh his son and that, that scene absolutely moves me yeah, his son who didn't know he was his father until a year ago. That's I mean, think about it in those terms too. Everything that has happened in the last five, six years of Luke's life, 
and how it's changed everything. It's changed the destiny of the entire galaxy, and not to mention just his own life and stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I love the moment. I think it's fantastic, and it's well done. And then, then we get the final celebration moment uh, with the Ewoks and their uh, strangely uh, Paul Simon esque Africa music. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what what what, uh, what else to say about that. I'm like, I love John Williams' score. I hate the song. I don't. I don't know. I hate all of it. I didn't. I like it. I don't like the way everybody's just. It looks like a cast rap party. It does yeah. not. It does not look like the end of the Star Wars film. And I, I and I don't know. I just it just. I don't know what I wanted to happen. But I was like, well, I just don't. I didn't need all that. You know? Well, I think that Luke, when they did the special edition, that's one thing Lucas wanted to do. Is like, okay, we just need to make it bigger. We mm-hmm. just need to make it and to show other planets that we've seen, like to show Tatooine and Bespin celebrating and Coruscant. I like that, like, like, because that is the kind of celebration we need. Throwing Naboo into it in the DVD, I'm like, let me tell you something. I didn't give a shit about Naboo in the prequels. <laughs> the last thing I want is to see that planet one more time exactly. in Return of the Jedi. So yeah. that's the only thing I hate about that series. Like, I'm so I can't tell you how little I give a shit about what Naboo thinks about all this. Yeah, but and the and the song and the the music, uh, it's I I don't mind it. I I think it's a it's a nice bit of. Uh, score to, to send us off but it doesn't beat uh uh yub nub the original <laughs> ewok song which i can't recommend go on youtube look up yub nub that to me is it's catchier it's it's catchier mm-hmm. uh and it's an e- i like the idea that you know that the ewoks are singing that and uh i love the 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 uh pre- the uh the what's the word the barbarism the barbarism of using the stormtroopers helmets as <laughs> yeah as uh, as drums, yes, with uh, or without the heads inside, I'm not sure, but they took those he- helmets off of some dead bodies and they're using them as musical <laughs> instruments. Yeah, that's a great Ewok moment to me. Yeah, it's they, like that's that's what they do to their enemies. Yeah, they they behead you. Well, why not? They might as well just be savages. They pretty much are anyway. So, but the final thing is we see, of course, you know Ben Kenobi and Yoda, and then this other dude. <laughs> that shows up. Um, I, you know, it was Sebastian Shaw, of course, which I'm like, I would Luke even know who the heck that was? Seriously? Yeah. And, but does he really know who that is? I mean, we'll spoil it now. It's and everybody knows this. It's Hayden Christensen got you know supplanted in there as the and Lucas explains it as well. The last time he was Anakin Skywalker, that's how he looked. And I'm like, well. Okay, but the Yoda and Kenobi had to be old fogies in their ghost life. Why did he get to be the J.C. Penny model? Oh yeah, I thought if, like, like if you're gonna do that, you're gonna call back to the prequels like that. Like go all the way, go get get Qui Gon Jinn, get yeah. Mace Windu, get all of the Jedi characters. Like if you're gonna do that, because the last thing that people watching the original trilogy want to see is Hayden Christensen. Yeah, and like there's like the, why why would you change it? I have no problem with with uh, the old Anakin Skywalker being there looking, you know, it's that same actor we saw all scarred up, but he's mm-hmm. looking normal again. Like it makes you happy. It's like, Oh good. Thank Christ. Vader doesn't look like that. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the thing about it is that we didn't know what happened to Vader's force soul. That's, you know, that's what we said. And it's like, you know, he, he did turn back to the good and we know that he is good because he gets to be this now, you know, like that's the final moment is that you realize that, yeah, Luke was right. There was enough good left in him that the, you know, fate of the galaxy or whatever has forgiven him for his sins or whatever i don't know that's that's how that moment's supposed to be but it's 
Uh, besides the fact that Hayden Christensen's put back in it, which that's, that's nothing against him. It's not his fault. He's just doing what he's <laughs> supposed to do. Yeah. That's, that's Lucas's idea. I like the idea that Anakin Skywalker gets to join those other two Jedi. The, the three right. fathers of Luke, if you will, have been Ben Kenobi, Yoda, and Darth Vader. And right. so I, I don't know. I, I like that. Story wise, I have no problem with 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 Anakin being there. It tells mm-hmm. me that you know, when this whatever this afterlife is, that Anakin has redeemed himself by saving his son and taking out the Emperor as well. Yeah, which wasn't a bad move to do. No, exactly. Well, Kurt, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. And for the first time in this series, I'm actually interested to hear what yours are going to be. So <laughs> what are they for? Uh, and not that I wasn't interested before, but I think it was obvious uh-huh. what they were. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm curious to hear what you're going to say this time for Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. Well, as I said at the start, when I was, let's say, between the ages of 8 and I'll say even 14, uh, this was my favorite. Star Wars movie. I just loved the, the creatures, the Jabba, uh, everything, the the Ewoks. I loved all of it. As I've gotten older and gotten more into more sophisticated films and become more of a film buff and just basically my tastes have changed. Empire is still the best. And Jedi's flaws just, you know, as strong as the good parts are, like I said, the, everything with Vader, the last 20 minutes, the good stuff with Jabba, there's like a half hour in this movie that needed to be either shrunk down or just changed up or just like let's you know let's move along here as a star wars film as part of the original trilogy easily the weakest there's no there's no question of what the weakest one is of the original trilogy as a film as i said to compare with other genre films or other action films there's no question that it is you know light years ahead of that uh so i cannot say that you know this is this is not a bad movie bad movie by any stretch of the imagination it is still a classic belongs on that's those same sort of lists that the other two movies are on. Uh, and like I just said, the, the great parts, those scenes with Vader, that last, the funeral pyre for Vader gets me every single time. Everything with the Emperor, great villain. The fun of that first act with Java is, is, is fantastic. The series, some of the best stuff in the series. Uh, but that middle act really brings the movie down to a crawl to some, at some parts. And the Ewoks, it brings up too many logical questions of com- and complaints and nitpicks. But the biggest fault of this movie, to me, is pretty much ruining Han Solo, which is just about the greatest hero in science fiction movie history, when, when, when all is said and done. And they just, they just it, like, I've never wished a character was killed off more. It would have been such a more powerful character uh, if they just killed him off. So what they did with him and, ha- and Harrison Ford's performance really hurts this this movie. Luke's amazing. Chewie's still great. Vader and everything is and all that is great. But Han Solo really being destroyed and tainted and having his teeth ripped out and everything. And Harrison Ford's worst performance of that golden age of, of Harrison Ford really uh, brings the movie down. So as great as the movie is, I'm going to say I'm going to give it – it's like right between – an extra large and a large because I can't take like it's it's it damn near perfect. The 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 great stuff is perfect like the, with Vader, but the bad stuff is like none. The bad stuff is prequel territory. Uh, so I have to say it's like right between extra large and a large popcorn, but like leaning towards extra large. But flawed is uh, the big problem. I think you've hit a good word there. It's it's incredibly flawed. There there's a third of this film that. It just doesn't hold up and doesn't hold my interest and doesn't keep me 
engaged. And unfortunately, a lot of it involves Han Solo. And I agree with everything you said. That character is completely neutered in this film. And they could have brought him back and let him be who he was and let him go out with a bang. Let him take out Jabba. You know, let that let that be his big moment. And it sends the other two off into their adventures for what they have to do. But, um, you know, that decision was made and it, and it and I think it, I think it plays in the performance, too. He'll never admit it, but I, I don't think Ford wanted to be there. And I think he played it like somebody didn't want to be there. And hmm. it's pretty obvious. But I'll say this. What what saves this for me, because this has never been my favorite one, even as a kid, didn't really. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't hmm. love it the way I loved the first one or Empire Strikes Back. And like I said Earlier in the podcast, this is the one I've seen the least of all six of these. Um, and it's the one that every time I, I, I start watching these and I want to watch them, and I'm like, okay, I'm eventually going to have to watch Return of the Jedi, and I know there's at least half of it that I don't really care to watch. Like, there's just so much of it I, I just wish I could just fly through. The scenes with Luke and Vader and Luke and the Emperor and that space battle really save it for me i think those are the best parts of the film and the effects works great i mean it all holds up that looks wonderful but but the space battle's cool and really it's that tension in that throne room when those three actors are going at each other and and when luke just loses his shit and goes after vader that that is a a fantastic cinema moment it's a great film moment when that happens um but it's not enough to put it on par with the other two um, I think this is good, and, and I think it's fun, and it is a satisfying ending to what this story arc has been for these three films. So on that level, I give it credit for that. And in, in you know, again, take it into look at some other genre pictures and stuff like that. By the time they got to the third entry, what was supposed to be the last entry and stuff, and how you know just how off the rails it could get. I mean, you know, Alien Three is is an interesting film, but <laughs> nowhere near what the first Alien or Aliens was. And uh, you know, even something lighter fare like Back to the Future. Back to the Future Three, nobody will tell you is their favorite film. That's no, you know, that's maybe we can have that conversation another day, but um, and I, I don't know, it just it just doesn't work in a, in a lot of ways, and um, and there's a lot of reasons, and we've picked through a lot of why it doesn't, but I still can give it a pass and say, yeah, you know what, this is a fun, it's a fun watch, and for those scenes with Vader and Luke and the Emperor, it's definitely worth it. I'm going to give it a large popcorn for those scenes. I think those parts of it are there, but for me, this teeters between medium and large because so much of it is what I call medium popcorn. Just the the definition of, well, it's not awful, but it's not exactly good either. And in comparison to other things, it's really not that good. And, you know, but I think there are enough things to save it there. And, and it was an interesting way to end this because nobody knew if there would ever be another Star Wars movie. I mean, there were television movies. There were, I mean, from here is where everything exploded into the, the EU, you know, from this moment. And what we know today is the extended universe really began in in 1983 and 84, and all, you know all that Star Wars would become. And you know, 14 years later, when they said we're making a new Star Wars movie and we're going to tell the backstory of Darth Vader, then that announcement came out, and we're going to put the old trilogy back in the theater again, and all all that was coming out. I, you know, I had wondered for years would there ever be another Star Wars movie because where they left this. It was it was a conclusion, but it certainly wasn't the end of what could be told. Yeah, it was absolutely not something that was like it's over for good. It's the yeah. same kind of ending that Indiana Jones had, which is like, well, you know, it's like trilogy's over, but it's like the, it's op- it's completely open ended, which is yeah. what is great. Like 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 Dark Knight Rises couldn't be more closed ended. It's like, well, yes. no, it's over. Like yeah. Bruce Wayne's moved on, but this one, it's like, you know, like literally when Yoda says, "Pass on what you have learned." Right there. There's your there, there's your uh, uh, starting point for episode seven, uh, and yeah, and 
everyone thought it was over, and then then it happened. Then it happened. The prequels, and I I don't want to get any more into those than just that. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll definitely spend. I imagine we'll spend a lot of time talking about those in the coming weeks as we get into the other half of our uh, Star Wars retrospective here, the prequel trilogy with episodes one, two, and three. Folks, thanks for joining us on this latest edition of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com/slash/movies. Just go there and you can search by. Keywords or by different hosts or things. So that's how we kind of organize our archive section. All kinds of stuff in there. We got horror movies. We got comedies. We got romantic comedies. We got the documentary in there. We got you know sci-fi action. You name it. We we pretty well covered it as a genre at some point in the the lexicon of film strip. Uh, so check us out. Leave us a review on iTunes. Hook up with us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you think. And of course, you can always catch up with us because um, the hosts hang around in Kurt's lair on Facebook, The Fabish Factor. Absolutely. You can find we get into several discussions ranging from everything from television. Uh, more and more TV as I discover great TV shows uh, and uh, and film and everything in between and absolutely you can find us also on the Fabish Factor Film Podcast where we get into similar discussions and cover certain topics I'm just particularly fond of like Game of Thrones, Batman, Alien and top films of a given year and you can find us all there on uh, iTunes and Facebook absolutely so folks until next time for Kurt I'm Jay thanks for listening to Filmstrip Thank you for listening to our Star Wars Retrospective Series. May the Force be with you.